listening to Historically Present. Well, everyone, welcome to the Historically Present podcast. My name is Peter. And my name is Serge. And you're listening to the podcast where we talk about the intersection of the past, the present, and how that will all impact the future. And speaking of the future, 2022 is coming to an end. Yeah, wild. Wild that we're so so close to the end of 2022. Just think, we started this year without war. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. Well, there was a big fear of a buildup to war. And um, unfortunately, that actually did happen. So yeah, we started this year without war. We started this year with supply chain issues and ended this year with, oh wait, supply chain issues. (laughs) Yeah, but... Maybe on a little bit different front. Right. We're, we're kind of doing a little ad lib here, everyone. We've got some stuff. This is going to be on this podcast. We're going to talk about a lot of different stuff. Yeah. But um, it is one of those ones you're like, okay, I know you're going to hear this from a lot of people out there. Oh, what was 2022 like and everything this nature? This is Peter and Serge's take on 2022. Yeah. In through the perspective of what we do here. So, um, ah, I don't know. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, I think <clears throat> couple, you know, a couple of things that I'm just thinking of, like the when the war started. Well, let's again, let's be let's be factual here. When the war escalated, right? Right. The war started in 2014. <laughs> 14, really, right? Yeah. When the war escalated to this level, um, I think a lot of people uh, again were just horrified and shocked, and um, in many ways, the war was real time for for a lot of people like we've never seen footage that close from a battle happening to um f- you know to see it on social media right away essentially right. and it was virtually done in real time and so that even for myself i'm like i noticed i got a little bit desensitized to some of the carnage i'm just like oh, interesting like oh yeah here's here's more dead bodies and it's like wow and it, it, I had to catch well, myself. Yeah, when they, you know what I mean? When they liberated uh, Bucha. <clears throat> yeah, Bucha. Bucha, sorry. And uh, there were some scenes that came from that. I'm like, um, y- you're right. Now that you say that, it was it was a little desensitized. I mean, it was still actually kind of over, a little shocking to the system, to be honest. Um, because there was just bodies laying everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it rem- I can't remember. Forgive me, people. I don't remember this footage I'm thinking of. But it reminded, now that you say that, it reminds me of a footage, you know, back from, was it the 90s, like with Kosovo or something like that? That Yeah. It was yeah. like, a, you know, that's one of those things that I don't remember. I was too young to really understand or watch the news. And I'm not sure the news really covered it really much. But this footage afterwards, right, that you got to see. But to your point, it's like real time. Oh, yeah. And, and from multiple angles, from different yeah. sources. I mean, it's just wild to see that level of military, um, you know, uh, attacks and defense uh, you know, mechanisms happening like like that, right? Where normal everyday people film it, actually, and right. post it. So that was a weird, you know, sad <laughs> and, thing and, and that even, happened. And even military. Yeah, yeah. That's... Yep. Well, shoot, didn't the Russians even, like... Sorry, this is the comedian inside of me. Aren't weren't they like TikToking their parachuting <laughs> in? Yeah, they they were what TikToking. On earth? Uh, 
the the Kadyrovci is what they're what they're known oh. as the Kadyrov fighters from Chechnya. They were they were actually labeled as the TikTok the TikTokers. Um, they were totally videos <laughs> videotaping themselves landing and doing you know shooting at all these places and then and, and uh, all these objectives. But in reality, a lot of them were really at the end of the at the at the end of the front actually behind lines and they were relatively safe and so it was very very much staged okay you know a, okay. lot, a lot of it at least was staged uh, but yeah <laughs> i mean it was just isn't that wild oh it's just wild <clears throat> yeah i mean I, I understand everybody i'm not i'm not making light of it but just you there is no way there's no way if you were to grab anybody from the Battle of D-Day, nobody had totally. any... I mean, that that would have been the farthest thing yeah. from their mind. The far, I'm talking the support ships in the farthest <laughs> rear. That would have been the farthest thing from their mind. Yeah, you can't imagine a, a, a USGI saying, let's take a pillbox selfie, guys. <laughs> you know, that's that's for sure right. not what was happening. So, right. so it's interesting that we're, we're again, kind of in that... And that honestly, that that plays into the information war as well, right? Because you can take videos of something, you can change the headline, you can you can spin it in your own way too. Yeah, like these people. And I will admit, even I was like, is there is there even a remote truthfulness to this? Like all the people that it would show the footage of, like all the dead bodies laying, and then they act like the filming was over and like people start getting up. Did you see some of that stuff? That was propaganda. That was propaganda, yeah, though, right? Yeah, that was well, that's what that's what Russia was saying happened in Bucha is yeah. where they said, Here's this video that Ukraine released, and here's you know, they I don't know what they did to they doctored the video somehow and they said, see the body's moving actually. It's not they're not dead. No, that's total propaganda because right. it was actually confirmed even with satellite imagery from uh, from U.S. sources and U.S. companies that said, no, actually, this body was here on the satellite that we took and the next day and, you know, and, and so on. So it's, yeah, it's been a really, it's been a really strange look into the inner workings of war from a civilian perspective. Um, and so, again, like, the thing that always just, just gets me is, is a video of the jet. You remember the first couple days of war? I'm not sure what it, if it was a MiG or a Sukhoi. It's flying around Kiev and it shoots a a guided missile into a 20 plus story uh, apartment complex. Oh yeah, and I'm like, that's not CGI. That's not movies. That's actual real life, right? Or some ki- some guy was doing like a video chat or something like that. And like the apartment above him in his building got rocked by a missile. Yeah. And it was just like, that's not CGI. Exactly. And what was interesting was like, it it did feel like a resemblance of like when you see in a movie, like when a bomb goes off inside a building or something like that. Because it was just dust and chaos. And he was covered in sheetrock dust and all sorts of stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's yeah, so you know, just kind of going back on this year, just a, a quick little recap. So what's what's really happened with with Ukraine? Wanted to start maybe there a little bit and get into a couple updates about Ukraine, and then move on to a few other topics here. But yeah, um, so far what we've seen in terms of 
uh, killed. Yes. What's yeah? What's what's the update today? The update today is ninety seven thousand six hundred ninety killed, and this is again an approximate assessment. And of who's killed here? The Russian soldiers. Russian soldiers. Okay. Yep. yep. So you know, if we do the the kind of the three to one ratio of killed versus wounded, we've got about two hundred ninety three thousand wounded. Um, about a thousand POWs, that sort of thing. So we're, we're getting to the point where a mid-sized city of Russian forces has been essentially killed in Ukraine in the last less than a year, last 10 months or so. Right. And so once again, just just for all the like Americans listening, um, or quite frankly, our allies too. Actually, I don't know this. I don't know the answer if this is true, but that would not. You could take you could take every casualty from Vietnam up. Yeah, and would never it wouldn't get close to that. Yeah, or it, uh, let me clarify that there's fifty some thousand in Vietnam. So. <clears throat> Yeah, or death. So let me clarify that. So it would be more than half for sure. But um, yeah, fifty-eight thousand in uh, military fatalities in, yeah, in Vietnam. Okay. Plus, we had um, roughly six thousand. Yeah, something around that number in in the Iraq wars. So yeah. yeah, again, we're approaching numbers that you know. But those wars lasted years. Oh yeah. Decades. Years. Right? Decades. Like, yes. That's combined combined together. They lasted probably about twenty plus years. If you combine oh, yeah. you know, Iraq plus well, we had also Gulf Gulf War One. Seventy three was the end of Vietnam. Yeah, sixty five. So, yeah. Almost thirty years. So this is staggering. I mean again, this will be written in many military books. This will be covered intensely. I think from both sides, right? From kind of the Russian unprepared position, indefensible position. Yeah. And from the Ukrainian resistance position as well. How how they how they actually were able to defend their homeland. Because again, these numbers are just they're they're not even disproportionate. They are they're an absolute anomaly in in terms of warfare. Right. This well, is a slaughter. Right. Well, let okay. For all the people who are out there who think like, well, okay, fine, I'll give you. Let's even give you the benefit of the doubt. If if we're half wrong, yeah. If we're half wrong, that's still the fastest casualty rack up in a modern war. In a modern war, yep. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, you. Know, well, I can look this up too, but do you know what that top of your head what the Korean War casualties were? Uh, yeah, I can look it up here. Um. We had uh, forty thousand Americans died. Okay, so they are they are months away from Korea plus Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> wow, talk about mortgaging your future, right? Talk about oh, for for really no apparent, no um, no specific reason. Honestly, like if you ask any of these Russian soldiers that go into the into the battlefield in Ukraine and you ask them, what are you fighting for? And you try to pull out from them, just say, hey, separate the propaganda. I know I know that you're told you're fighting against Nazis. But 
Babushka Olya is not a Nazi. She, you know, grandma, grandpa here that's in this this village, he's he's not a Nazi. Where are the Nazis, right? So you separate out the propaganda and you ask that person, and if they're honest, intellectually honest with themselves, they will not be able to answer why they're actually fighting. And it's 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 that which really just I think underscores the like the catastrophe of this whole war, right? I understand, like, you know, we had a similar situation with Vietnam. Yeah. Right? If you ask any American soldiers, why are we fighting for Vietnam? We didn't really have a strategic, you know, yeah, there's this, the propaganda that we heard with the strategic um, impact that we'd have in the war, in the world, and we want to defeat communism. And, you know, there's all that kind of geopolitical stuff going on. But then you ask the average soldier, I think they'd be hard pressed to answer specifically and accurately why, why they're there. And so that's, this is Russia's Vietnam moment all over again, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> By the way, one one side effect of that, just so everybody remind needs to remind themselves, you don't get killed. You're injured. Maybe you don't get injured. You go back home. Okay. If there's anything that we have learned in the past 20 years and is that uh, PTSD is a real thing. Oh, yeah. And if you think that that population is not going to have PTSD, listen. Ukrainians, they've already baked that in. The whole culture's in there. The difference between Russia and Ukraine right now is the whole country is under that. Yeah. It's it won't be an anomaly necessarily amongst you know I mean, sure, there's different parts of the country that are getting hurt more than others. What fine. I I guess I can see some argument that way. But but the whole country's experienced it together. I'm not saying Russia isn't experienced this together in some capacity, but you know the the government is doing its darndest to keep the separation from what's happening in the front oh, lines yeah. compared to you know the mothers even back home, the girlfriends back home, anything of that nature. Yep. And so, and they're <clears throat> losing on that. Honestly, they're losing the the information control aspect of the war because you only have to see a few guys with missing legs walking around in Moscow or, you know, one, one missing leg or, or that sort of thing. Right. Until you start seeing the realities of this actual war, you're like, okay, I've seen five today. Something's yeah. going on, right? This is, this is not just a, you know, localized thing that we don't have to worry about or think about. Like these wounded soldiers are returning home to Moscow, to St. Petersburg and and quite frankly, they haven't even seen it as big because the mobilization earlier on the war did not take from Moscow and from St. Petersburg as much as it did from other outer areas of Russia. But now with this larger mobilization, now they're going to start seeing, I think, more, you know, uh, more handicapped soldiers returning and, and like, okay, you got to deal with that now. It's it's just yeah. Yeah, just just think of that people just for a second. And and we have to always understand Russia does view life and they understand war in a different context than we do. 
just yep. because of the Great Patriotic War and what that just completely changed the mindset of that country. But still, think of it this way. We lot we had a casualty list of 50,000 plus from Vietnam and what that did to the populace in America. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah, the protests, right? Okay, the whole if we're 60s. half wrong on the amount of dead, that's 50,000. That people notice that you can't you can't hide that. Why do you think all the men left when the great mobilization was going to mm-hmm. happen? Mm-hmm. So okay. Anyways, yeah. all right. Up the yeah. end, up. All right. So we talked about this. We will get into some of this more, but let's get more specifically about Ukraine. What's going on with there? Yeah, I think kind of two things I wanted to update on is is just continued blackouts um, in Ukraine. Again, these are caused by. Russian missiles and the Shahed drones that are that Russia is using from uh, that were purchased from Iran that are now hitting again critical infrastructure and infrastructure facilities like power stations, um, you know anything that can affect the grid, uh, whether it's electri- electrical, water grids, that sort of thing, right? So um, again, we're in the middle of winter right now, or, or just the beginnings of winter in in Ukraine. It's very cold. Pipes freeze if you don't have continuous flow. I mean, so to restore infrastructure that quickly, Ukraine is just, there's some miracle workers there that are, that are just, they get hit within a few hours. The infrastructure is restored. Um, I've seen on Instagram, just people joking about it now, because again, it's, it's just, it's a psychosis of war, right? (laughs) It's the new way of life. Yeah. They're making videos like, you know, Hey, I'm doing this doing this exam and then boom, the lights go out or, you know, and it's just, they're again, using humor to defeat and to to battle this, this terrible situation that's happening um, in Ukraine. So lately Ukraine has been more successful in shooting down a lot of these uh, cruise missiles and uh, all types of different calibers and that sort of thing that are launched from Russia, from Belarus. It it does seem actually pretty shocking. It it seems like they cut, uh, and this is not completely scientific, I'm sure, but 60. So they they initially were able to get maybe like 50% down. Now it seems like they're even getting higher than that. Yeah, they're getting higher than that. But, yep. But the kicker is, is that, you know, the 10% that slips through or 20% that yeah. slips through, it's going to, it's hitting something. So. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not hitting any military targets. Um, no. It's hitting. Just again, infrastructure. Just trying to cripple and uh, attack kind of the psyche of Ukrainians and, and and really keeping them in fear, right? But I think it has an opposite re- response and reaction from Ukrainians because they're looking at this as the <laughs> you're poking the hornet's nest and we are the hornets and we're gonna get back. Like this is this is enraging Ukrainians. And further distancing distancing themselves from from Russians. Um, again, as a Ukrainian, you know there was this this kinship, this kindred. You know, we 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 were told that we were the same people, and yeah, we probably came from common ancestors. And and uh, you know, if you listen to one of our previous episodes, you can kind of hear the okay. We should we beginning. should plug that one quickly. <clears throat> the brief history of Ukraine. <laughs> the two-hour-long brief history, history of Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine. It, it is good to listen to. Yeah. Continue. And and now it's like, 
the whole society in Ukraine has completely flipped on that narrative. Jeez. Um, and it's it's not even it's not even just uh, in a way of how people are viewing themselves and kind of what nationality and what ethnicity they're viewing themselves as. Um, I'll give you an example. Growing up here in the states, when good things were happening with Russia involved. Nice. I I kind of took credit for it, right? I'm like, okay, that's my people, <laughs> you know, and, and that was growing up in 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 Ukraine or in in the states, and like we'd see, for example, like Olympics, right? Great things are happening, Russia, yes, we're all is, Slavs in some exactly. aspects. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I think that was a kind of a predominant um, mindset for a lot of for a lot of even Ukrainians. Like, yeah, we're this is us. I mean, this is our people. <laughs> Right. The war happens in 2014 and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. We are totally different <laughs> types are. of people. Wait a minute. Something something's really <laughs> wrong here. Yeah. And now it's like even even famous YouTube uh, bloggers. There's a guy, uh, Anton Ptushkin, that I, that I watch. He's a famous Ukrainian um like travel blogger and he's, he's he does some amazing like just drone photography and yeah. videography just incredible um he has switched to speaking in ukrainian and, and he spoke in russia because he's from luhansk and so you see that happening actually very very often now in ukraine where the the repulsion to the russian language russian foods all of that is is so heavy now that like Ukrainians are actually rediscovering their own Ukrainian heritage, Ukrainian roots, that sort of thing. So it's kind of a an opposite reaction to go back to to what I was saying earlier to what Russia is is hoping would happen. Of uh, let's you know we're getting bombed, let's get to the negotiation table as soon as possible. It's like no, 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 we're getting bombed. Our literature, our language, our culture, our society view of ourselves is blooming right now. All thanks to to what Russia's done to our country for the last 10 months. So so here here's here's my glasses looking at that situation. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be a long episode people. Just <laughs> you. Sorry. Sorry. Um is uh I just I just can't get over my you the the west overall has now like views Russia as a pariah. Yeah. To certain extent, right? Yeah. Um Okay. <laughs> when uh when one of these former Soviet states um that's not Ukraine can identify more with Russia than Ukraine can right now at this point in time. Like that's a moment that you, when Poland when there might be people in Poland who can might identify with Russians a bit more than Ukraine right now. That should be like a wake up call like there is a movement that has changed immensely. I mean, what's, you do, I haven't seen the recent poll, but the recent poll I thought was like 92% in support of fighting the Russians in Ukraine oh, yeah. right now. Yeah, of continuing Continuing the war to the yeah. end, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, clearly not giving up. Um, uh, and these effects of targeting the infrastructure, we'll get to in a second how the West response, but it's not, it's not doing what the Russians probably hoped it would do. Um, I think they are maybe trying to have the West do something, intervene somehow, but but I think that's also having the negative side of what they're hoping to do there. Either way, 
I keep thinking to myself, let's the whole Eastern block. I mean, when I visited that place in 2004, mm-hmm. like I saw the remnants of mm-hmm. like what the Soviet like system had done there to a certain extent and how people were kind of rebuilding. This is prior to them joining the EU. Yeah. Like they were still on. You're talking about Poland, right? And Poland, Czech nations. Republic, Slovakia. Mm-hmm. Um, but mark my word, like even if something was to happen to Ukraine and all these Ukrainians go into those go into the next row of states, you can darn well be sure. All of them are like, <laughs> we are on our own countries, yes. Yeah. But we are, <laughs> we, we will, <laughs> we we are not letting this happen again. No. Type scenario. I mean, I, I mean, the joke has always been like, NATO has like a leash on Poland trying to keep, hold them back or something like that. But I, I like there's <laughs> yeah. right there's right. there's uh there's a part of me that feels like yeah I mean if <clears throat> if tanks start rolling up to Kiev again I just don't know that the poles are gonna be like no no we're not we're not doing this again nope 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 um yeah I don't know there's even in Kazakhstan there's the <laughs> I saw a uh, this is on Twitter I, I can't I can't find this um right off the top here but i saw like a i think there's a i don't know if he's an official or some kind of celebrity in kazakhstan and he was basically like listen (laughs) you guys are trying to uh you know encourage collaboration between russia and and kazakhstan and trying to get us to the get us basically baited into this war to support you right that's not going to happen because and actually uh, what some of the Russians were saying is like, we will invade Kazakhstan. Like, if you guys don't support what we're trying to do, we will in- essentially invade po- uh, Kazakhstan. And the guy's like, you'll be you'll be picking up your dead soldiers' corpses on the steps of of Central Asia. Like, this is okay. This is unheard of. That kind of language being directed back at Russia is unheard of. They are, from their satellite I was going to say, that's a satellite right? state, technically, or whatever they would say. Yeah, overall. Kazakhstan and Russia, they were very, right. Let me clarify. A year ago, no, beginning of this year, they would have, yeah. that would have been considered a satellite state. That would have been, yeah, totally. And so you see kind of the independence movement um, strengthening in a lot of these. And, and, you know, they're all independent now. But what I mean by that is independence from the Russian society, Russian way of thinking, the Soviet system, right? You've got countries like Latvia just creating laws now that that totally um, uh, are abandoning abandoning any Soviet monument. Like, all of that has to go now, right? Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Every, you know, Hmm. they're trying to cleanse themselves from the Soviet past. Uh, Again, I I think rightly so, because it was portrayed as one thing, but in reality, it was something much deeper, much darker. Well, it's very clear that they're like, no, we're not going back to this. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing if you're Russia and you can pick and f- pick a fight with one nation at a time. But when... But I will admit, Ukraine was a tipping point. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I, I will give credit to the West for like doing the right thing eventually. And supplying stuff. Yep. But 
I mean, Poland was like, I mean, Poland in the opening month was like, we'll give you our, we'll give you our planes. Oh yeah, they were ready. I mean, the, they were ready. There was like twenty eight. They're like, <laughs> I mean, just, just they were every, on the taxi way there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> sorry, I keep. I don't know if this is completely accurate, but I just keep feeling like the poles are just sitting at the border. Like, uh, if they take one more step, I mean, I think if they take if they get anywhere close on the Belarus line, I think. Poland may take a yeah. some of those Soviet states there are like oh we'll we'll go we'll go into Belarus because they don't like that guy there at all Lukashenko yeah yeah yeah, yeah so. he's a dictator he's been he's been in power since ninety four nineteen ninety four yeah so okay so, yeah so that's kind of a, a little aside um you know the blackouts I think are going to continue happening until we have a response from the West which I think we're going to talk about that in a sec here but. Um, one of the things I wanted to also talk about is, and I think this is what's provoking the West yes. for making some deeper action and actually saying, okay, you know it's, what? At minimum, it's increasing the brotherhood overall, the collaboration, and you better darn well sure the yeah. Eastern European states or countries for that matter, let me clarify, wanting to band even more together that yep. make sure that this doesn't continue. Yep. So. And, and that's kind of like the enough is enough moment. Yes. Um, and that's really finding the torture chambers in Kherson. So Jeez, in our last episode, we talked about Kherson being liberated and uh, kind of the joy, euphoria that Ukraine Ukrainians that were holed up there and, and, you know, under occupation, what they experienced. But that quickly turned into tears, that quickly turned into sorrow and sadness because they started finding these torture chambers. And the one that I wanted to highlight specifically is actually a children's torture chamber. Again, three words that should never be together. <laughs> children's torture chamber. Seems like an oxymoron. So they found the, they found a, a, a cell, a specific room for children. And, and I'm going to quote here from the Kiev Independent, which um, has an article on this and says, the children were given little water and almost no food. According to local testimonies, the children were sub, uh, subject to psychological abuse at the hands of their Russian captors who told them that their parents had abandoned them and that they would never return home. Jeez. One 14-year-old boy was arrested and later tortured just for taking a picture of a broken Russian equipment. Uh, article goes on to say that, um, you know, this... this uh, this official that was speaking on the record of this, um, she says that I thought that the bottom could not be broken after Bucha, Irpin, but we really reached the bottom in Kherson. And they've discovered now not four, not five, but dozens of torture chambers in the liberty, liberated area, areas of Kherson, Kharkiv, Donetsk, Oblast. So they're finding more and more of this stuff and... Um, one 16-year-old Ukrainian boy that was interviewed by the Kiev Independent, um, he said he was forced to follow orders such as cleaning torture rooms awash with victims' blood. And I think the West says, enough is enough. And this is where we've been hearing in the last couple days um, news about the U.S., and Germany and Poland, they're ready to provide Patriot missiles to Ukraine. Hmm. And 
this is this is shocking. This is like unbelievable, I think, you know, to to look at this and say, okay, it's it's understandable that there would be some kind of detention facility for people that Russians suspect are helping Ukrainians. I understand that. That's that's part of war. Torture, I don't understand that part of it. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, okay, we're going to torture children now who many of them have, you know, they're, they're kids. They have no impact to your war effort, but you're going to torture them. That, that, listen, that, I think that breaks a lot of people's naivete. And if it doesn't, then I don't know what else will. Like, I, I I, honestly don't know what else can cause some of these nations that are on the fence of supporting Ukraine or, you know, that are kind of just toying with Ukraine and saying, well, we'll give you something, but then, oh, never mind, we can't, or we will, let's, let's hold off. It's like, no, guys, we found torture chambers with that were specific for children. What else does it take? to get more assistance, to get more defensive weapons, more even offensive weapons to fight this evil. Right. This, this is like, this is pure evil. Yeah. It's the closest thing that I remember to in recent history um, is learning a bit more about. uh, It's very similar to, uh, uh, similar to the Abu Ghraib, actually. Yeah. Which Americans absolutely. will think of Abu Ghraib as like that, the photo, classic photo of an American soldier that looked really wrong because there was like a rope that looked around, like it was around the guy's neck. Yeah, the humiliation, right? Yeah. That one actually was, yeah, there were some problems there for sure. <clears throat> that story actually is a bit more nuanced just because I want to say that photo was slightly out of context, but... It was a rope around the guy's like whole body. He'd been asked to have that on him, and then it slipped up. Anyways, it's, it's horrible. Aside, aside the point, horrible. But previous to that, previous to that, um, Abu Ghraib before the Americans ever showed up there, that place. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was torture chamber city. From there Saddam, are kids. Right? There are kids. Testimonies exactly like that kid, sixteen year old wow. kid, <clears throat> like cleaning up to clean up the blood. Mother come like the police want this guy. The mom comes in, and here's the kicker: that seemed like we had as much as the problems after that. It seemed like okay, we all identified that as evil and everything of this nature. This is the reason why this feels even different than that is because this feels more systematic in that it's not just one area, it's... It's a doctrine, right? It's a doctrine that we saw, like, the tidbits of it in Bucha. Yep. Right? Yep. All of a sudden, we they liberate the Kharkiv region. Yep. They see more tidbits of this. Yep. And then the more they keep advancing, it gets worse. Um... I just the other day I I watched the scene from Band of Brothers. Oh yeah, where they liberate, where they stumble upon the concentration the concentration camp. Right? camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I listened to some eyewitness testimonies back there, or some people that were there at the time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, obviously these things are not completely the same, but boy do they have some eerie semblance similarities especially when we're dealing with kids like this we somebody is saying this is okay right and that's the crazy part many people are believing that statement that's even crazier somebody says this is okay carry out this order and people are willing to say you're right right this is okay by the way this article one thing that Serge maybe didn't I don't know if you said this or not. Okay, I want to just highlight this. Um, President advised for Children's Rights Rehabilitation reported on December 9th that Russia had already illegally deported more than 13,000 Ukrainian children. 13,000? 13,000, but underscored that this, unfortunately, is not the final figure. So it's higher than that. We don't know how much it is yet. Um, My question is, is, well, geez, we know what they did with the children and her son. I mean... At this point in time, this sounds such a terrible thing to say, but almost simply best case scenario, they're just brainwashing them. Of course. That's the best case scenario right now. Yeah. So what what on earth is what sick thing is happening on the other side potentially that's the the more of the worst case scenario of that stuff? I don't know. Like I I honestly I didn't even know about this. We were we we're getting ready to record this episode. Um, but I didn't even know this happened basically until like a couple days ago. And now that it just continues to happen, um, obviously from the comfort of where I live in the side of the middle of America, um, it's still, it, it is, it is enraging uh, for, and I cannot imagine what it's like to live in Ukraine and that happening. Never mind being anywhere nearby her son. Never mind even having a relative that maybe mm-hmm. knew people or, quite frankly, your own kids. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. So, <clears throat> I think I think the resolve of the Ukrainian spirit is probably going to continue here, just to be clarify that statement, which then leads to the next thing. Um the West response. Uh, there's a couple things here. Uh, we highly recommend you also listen besides us. Um, Peter Zihan, Zihan on geopolitics, I believe mm-hmm. is his YouTube yep. channel. Uh, he did a great one of this uh, just a couple days ago. He's talking about how the escalation is happening. And I, if there's any other theme for this episode, I feel like that <laughs> I feel like should need to be clarified. We said winter is coming in the last one. Mm-hmm. Like escalation is coming right now just because it's you when you are bombing critical infrastructure, you are intentionally going after the civilian populace. Correct. You are it's actually you, a war crime. It's you're doing a war crime every day. Yes. Every, by choice. By choice. Yes. Okay. You start doing that enough. Um I think even the West, and I think even probably everybody in war would probably understand. They understand where the Russians are coming from from that perspective. But they don't stop. They keep doing it every single day. And then the problem comes is when you add that up with 
all the other things that we are now finding, like these torture chambers in her son, mm-hmm. which, by the way, what's in Melitable? What's in Mariupol? What, where it's in Mari- what's in Mariupol? Yeah. Yeah. Right? We, can, we can't even speculate, honestly. Right. So, um, the West is... Hmm. When when you when you start to feel like the enemy is on a it's just on a different sick level, you are willing to start doing things that you normally wouldn't have done. So a lot of people have pushed back on the fact that you know we're giving so much aid to Ukraine, all this billions yeah. of dollars. Yep. Let me clarify something on that. Stinger missiles. We give them stingers. Okay. Did you? Did everybody understand? We have not produced a Stinger missile since I think 2010. I think at the latest. Yeah. Okay, this stuff has been sitting in a warehouse, under unused. We never used them at all during the war on terror. Correct. Okay, they were slated for destruction. That's yeah. Okay, they were slated for destruction. All these weapons that were given Ukraine are from like the 80s, the 70s. Maybe early '90s, a little bit. Yep. A lot of this stuff was slated for destruction. Honestly, it might have even cost us the same amount or more to, to get to destroy them. Yeah. We are getting. We are. It's. We're getting a deal. We are getting a deal. Yeah. And by the way, another view on this. Just, I know this is the the new American mindset on war uh, from the higher ups, but think of it this way: this is a win 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 for America. You're able to get rid of stuff. You're able to supply arms to the to people fighting your enemy, who, by the way, used to be under the control of the enemy. Yeah. It's a win-win-win scenario. As sick as that sounds a little bit when I say it like that, but but yeah. Um, okay, final thing on that. We are now entering a different stage, and the reason why we're entering a different stage is because we are now beginning to arm them. Can you verify this? Did we send? Did did Germany send them the at least the first version of the tank? Um, the uh, I don't think they have yet. I don't think they have yet. No, are they not though? In staged in Poland or something like that? I swear those things are getting close to the. Here's border. the thing: there are so many staging areas in Poland right now that have all the equipment that Ukraine has requested that can be sent over within hours, but. Because of the political pressure, because of the... It's the escalation version of Yeah, this. and okay. indecision slash, you know, what does escalation actually mean? They're all essentially sitting on the tarmac or sitting in these staging areas, uh, not doing anything right now, not protecting Ukrainian sky. So, okay, so here's my here's my theory on that then. So one of the other things that's being talked about right now is the Patriot um, uh, missile air defense uh, yeah. systems right now. The reason why that is different is because that is some America's, it's one of America's better technologies. Let's just put it this way. We, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not older potentially. I don't it's, even, it's still older, yeah. It's still older, but <laughs> it's it's a different level of training. It's a different level of sophistication than previously in this capacity. So if we are to put them in there, we are taking a different step than just the stuff that was "quote unquote" slated for destruction. Yeah, right. Yep. This is a different step above. Um, listen, NATO is not being subtle right now. 
Okay. I, I swear, just even the other day, I saw watching their CBS News where the uh, Abrams tanks are rolling off the barges, you know, going into Latvia, I think it was. Yeah. I can't remember. Why. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, there is a ring around this area and uh, it is continually being supplied. And all these staging areas that Serge is talking about, I don't know what the trigger is. But I think the trigger is getting less and less um, before those things get entered into the war. Because th- at this point in time, the Europeans, I don't think, will ever get get the get the natural gas back, even if they wanted it. Would right. you say that? Right, okay. I would say that's okay. true. Yeah. All right. What do you yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Is that no, any- I I think you hit you hit a lot of really good points there. And and again, thanks to Peter Zion for kind of sharing this this you know insightful information, right? Because. It is true that that to us, right, who are not military civilians, we're like, cool, javelins, stingers, like these right. things are awesome, right? We don't really know that those are that's old school technology. That's that's stuff that we to your point, we haven't even used in warfare before. And now we get to actually use it and 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 well see see at least how Ukraine is using it and and sort of test it on the field for us. Um and now the U.S. has been reluctant to provide more advanced equipment because, you know, for a really good reason, right? Because if it falls into the wrong hands, correct. Russia is is still very good at uh, military designs and and reengineering things, so they could look into it and they could they could see how these systems work and then work on def- defending and creating. Um, you know, alternatives to these systems, that sort of thing, right? So they can really take a lot of this proprietary secret information that's that's held in in how these missiles and, and systems work, re-engineer them, do something like that, right? We definitely don't want that. Now, with the Patriot, um, you're right. It, it actually, <laughs> I was just looking at this, it's crazy. This is a 1981 weapon. It was initially deployed in eight, 1984, but it started in the late seventies, eighties as, as a, as a project to, to build these missile systems. Um, that's crazy. Yes. That's crazy in many ways. One of the ways that I'm looking at it is like the disparity between 1980s Soviet technology and 1980s U S slash NATO technology. Right. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's wild. That is wild. (laughs) Um, the other thing is, you know, with Patriots, Reagan is turning over in his grave right now. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Yeah. Patriots, um, we could have they, them. <laughs> <laughs> they are they are very mobile, so um, they are actually the perfect weapon to give Ukraine right now because you can set them up in in in, in areas. And according to the, vi- the video we listened to with Peter Zion, he says you can set them up in a in a more of a kind of a nondescript or. Um, area that is going to draw a lot of Russian fire to it, rightfully so, but that's actually a feature, not a bug, right? Because if if the Russians start sending missiles and trying to find and attack this Patriot installation, this Patriot battery, they're not sending it to Kiev. They're not sending it to the power stations. They're not sending it to the, you know, to the to the water purification plants, that sort of thing. So that's a feature that we can send out of these, you know, use these Patriots as defensive mechanisms and move them quickly 
and it would cause the Russian forces to send all their missiles or try to attack and destroy these Patriot systems, right? So that's huge. I think the escalation has already happened, and I think it's wrong for the Western parties to think that we need one more tragedy or one more one more, you know, war crime to to really beef up our supply of Ukrainian army. Oh, I, I would army, agree sorry. with that. I will say though, we have avoided a, a major like clash of head to head directly. Yeah. Still. Yep. Somehow. And I don't know if that's because of how we've been doing it, you know, type scenario. I still feel like why haven't we given them the planes? Well, yeah, exactly. Isn't that the funny one? Yeah. Like, of all the things, we still haven't given them the planes from... Here's my hot take, Peter. Okay. The U.S. has been secretly training Ukrainian fighter pilots on M-16s since the beginning of the war. And they were waiting for some sort of escalation to happen where they could say, oh, well, guess what? We have... 200 trained fighter pilots in F-16s. We're going to give you guys a bunch. That's my hot take. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, <clears throat> if I was a U.S., that's what I would have done. That's what I would have done for sure. Uh, and and that I think that kind of opens up the, the whole escalation bit even further where if the U.S. and its partners supply the Patriot missiles, well, here's the thing. They are a lot more complex than the high Mars systems that yes. we provided, right? Yes, high Mars, you can train them, you know, for I think they spent a few weeks, few months. I think it, it was something like that. It was like weeks, I believe. And as right? far as we know, none of them have ever been even been hit yet. They have not. <laughs> Absolutely well, not. What an amazing system, all things considered, huh? Yeah, it's it's kudos to the design, the Ukrainians, whoever trained these people. My word. Yeah. Talk about, anyways. But with Patriot, it's totally different, right? Because now you need you need probably a couple dozen uh, advisors that will train you, show you. There's a it's a it's not like yeah, a it's not a it's not like just like a pickup truck, you know, military style pickup truck with a bunch of rockets. It's it's a whole system that you would need with radar, with command modules, that sort of thing. Actually, our friend um, from the, on the podcast, Ryan Macbeth, has yeah. a fascinating video on how the patriot system Does works he? yep okay well it's it's kind Check of long out, and it people. gets very technical very quickly but it's sort of an ingenious um ingenious system that was designed to attack and and really defend any sort of attack from from uh you know any parties like they're trying to send o- over okay. missiles and that sort of thing okay i do think we have one more escalation thing to talk about um that we have not touched on there's stuff being blown up inside Russia. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Can you explain to me on that a little bit more? Because is that is that us or is that you us? Okay, Russia. Just I'm not saying you. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, is that is that Ukraine, high Mars, no. or some sort of no? What so, is it? Okay. So here's what happened. This is and this is kind this of is multiple spots though. This is this is uh, this is Ukraine's do little raid moment. So okay, uh, if you're familiar, so with, this is okay. This is the point in the show. Yeah, okay. All if right, you're okay. familiar with the do little raid, um, yes. And this is the, this is kind of where the historical 
part of our name okay. uh, comes into play here. Yes! I would say. <laughs> finally, <laughs> finally doing a historical aspect to it. Ooh, we kind of have already, but yeah. Um, the Doodle Raid happened in the early parts of uh, World War II, where Japan struck Pearl Harbor. Right? Yes, obviously. The but, end of the mo- the dramatization of the movie Pearl Harbor ends with the Doodle Raid. Yep, yep. And yep. so what the U.S. did is like we need a we need a response to we want to bomb Tokyo is what they were saying. Now at that point of the war, again, the U.S. was a sleeping giant. Right? They were yes. just starting to wake up, and they they started to manufacture all these other amazing technologies and work on uh, a lot of stuff in secret, but they had no way to strike Japan or, and specifically Tokyo uh, without getting shot down because the Japanese Navy was just dominating the seas. And so they planned this uh, daring, this, this crazy, crazy raid from, uh, from a naval ship that would fly a bunch of bombers from the ship over to Tokyo, drop some payloads, and then land in China. Yes. Right? And they stripped, like, to, to get the most effective gas mileage, they stripped, like, I think even, even landing gear. Like, you couldn't even land. They were they were planning to crash land, essentially, or parachute out. And, and so they, they did a, as much as they possibly could to extend the, the replaced, range of the airplanes. Yeah, they replaced the guns with brooms. <laughs> I think or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh and this happened in so 1941 December 7th is when the the war yes. starts in the US when uh Japan attacks Pearl Harbor and this occurred in 1942 on April 18th. So not very far but essentially it was meant as a um as a as an attack on the psyche of the Japanese and saying you guys hit us? Well, guess what? We can hit you back. Now, the success of the the raid wasn't you know, we would I wouldn't I wouldn't say it wasn't detrimental or even super destructive to the Japanese because the the bomb like some of the planes got shot yeah, down from from uh like uh, destruction of military objective just exactly. not, nothing. You know, a dent. Yep, exactly. Um it did it did force some things to happen. So it did force the Japanese to recall some of their combat forces for home defense. Um, it did raise the fears of Japanese civilians. And honestly, the biggest thing was a morale boost to the States. And well, it was, a, yeah. And, and that's the thing. It was a, it was a morale hit to the Japanese. Cause it's like, Oh, they can reach us still. Somehow. Yeah. Yep. There was 80 crew members that flew these, these massive uh, B-25 bombers from the U.S. Hornet is, is uh, kind of what I'm reading on, on this. Um, and Jimmy Doolittle, I mean, that guy's fascinating. I, I read a book on aviation and he's just, I think he was one of the first ones, if I'm not mistaken, to f- be able to fly by, um, fly on instruments only. So like they blacked out the screen, you couldn't see outside of the window and they were teaching how to fly by instrument. So you could see kind of how, anyways, he's a legend in, in aviation history. And he was sort of the, the man that was called up by the hour that says, okay, we need this attack to carry out. Can you, can you lead and train these bombers to do this? And so that's what happened back in the, in the forties. And why I say that this is this recent attack from Ukraine is the, the Jimmy Doolittle raid moment is because it, 
did the exact same thing <laughs> that that the raid actually had did in in uh, in Japan. Right. So it it really spooked a lot of people in Russia. I think. Yeah. Because what happened was there was a two Russian air bases that were attacked um, by these long range drones. Right. So these long range drones, meaning they they could go a thousand kilometers, they could reach Moscow. Oh. So Ukraine, and again, we're still in the middle of this war. There's stuff going on. We don't know the full extent of the, all the details, but what it's looking like um, happened. Yeah, uh, th- one of the one of the bases was 115 miles southeast of Moscow. So let me say it this way: um, what happened was there were two Russian nuclear bombers that were damaged in this drone strike on the uh, on these two air bases. Uh, so again, didn't really do a lot. It didn't even destroy these bombers. These bombers were damaged. However, it sends a clear message to Russians. We can use this old school because they were using drones, Soviet drones from the 80s. That's right. Okay. Yes. Now I remember this. Yep. Those weird looking. Weird looking drones. Weird looking. They kind of look like a mix between an airplane that has sort of really short like or no wings at all. It looks like a mix between an airplane and and a missile. Yeah. Um, but essentially they, they're saying that, listen, you guys are not safe here either. Your nuclear bombers are not safe. And so it's, it's causing, again, reactions on the Russian side. It's causing most likely panic. And in, it's really that, that moment that's galvanizing morale for Ukrainian army, for the Ukrainian people, because they see, okay. We can actually fight back, and this is not even stuff that the U.S. has given us because that would have been that would have been seen as a major escalation, right? Imagine some predator drones flying into Russia and you know bombing this airbase, and then just hanging out and doing it again, exactly, yeah. and loitering and doing it again, right? Yeah. No, no, this is we're using old school Soviet technology to bomb these airbases to really send a message that we are capable. Um, I know Ukraine is also secretly has been developing some additional um, drones that are also long range. And we don't, we've seen kind of a, a picture of a shield, what looks like a shield. And that's all we've seen so far. But Ukraine has been teasing that they've been working on some kind of long distance, long range drones that can do even more damage. And so, um, yeah, big morale boost for, for Ukrainians huge question mark for Russians and, and how they're going to respond to this. Um, if you're in the West, you're thinking, don't attack a nuclear <laughs> air base because that's going to cause escalation. Well, it didn't. And I think that kind of proves the Ukrainian point of, guys, you're listening to Russia. Russia is an aggressor. Russia is planning and speaking about terror at every moment that it can it's not going to react in the way that you think it is uh, because they're the only way they can respond is through more violence more terror but at this point in the war that's a good point i mean we already know what they've been doing what are you i mean you're gonna ratchet it up from that point? right well remember like even the narrative right the, the narrative at the beginning was this is a special military operation to rid nazism out of ukraine which is why they're doing torture chambers. 
Yeah, but that's not the narrative anymore. They're not pushing that in in, in this in the propaganda media at all. Now it's we need to protect our people in Donetsk. So it's the the whole sh- like again the goals of this war have completely changed for Russia because they have lost so many people, so yes. many tanks, so many aircraft, artillery, everything. They've nearly depleted all their rocket. Or, excuse me, not rocket, but uh, the, their missile capabilities, right. their guided missiles. They got a ton, a ton of dumb bombs that are out there that you just drop and they'll just drop. But um, they've depleted ma- the majority of their guided missiles. And so um, I think there's going to be some panic in, in the ranks there. Okay. <laughs> that, my friends, is the update on Ukraine and war and Russia. Yeah. Can I add one more thing? Yes. And this might take a few minutes here, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Listen, we got going here. We got to we got we got to finish this on We we up. are well, we are keep my folks. This is the this is the end of the year episode here. So, yeah. we're not we're not holding back on this one. Yeah. I saw a video recently that highlighted kind of the importance and really the uh, the feeling that Ukrainians have towards Crimea and kind of the optimism they actually have regarding Crimea. And after watching that, after doing some thinking and kind of analyzing what, it, what the video said, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. And, and really what I want to say in this, in this, uh, in this topic right now is that it's really all about Crimea. Um, if we wait, 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 what? Yeah. If this whole war is all about Crimea. Okay. So let me kind of break it down for you here. So we know that Crimea was annexed by Russia in 2014. So this happened after the, the Maidan, you know? Yes. And actually two month, once not, again, go back and listen to the previous episode. We'll go into that in detail. Yep. So yep. not even two months after the the Viktor Yanukovych was kicked out. The the sitting president was was forced out of Ukraine, and the new government was starting to form. Russia again flies their helicopters into into Crimea and sets up a sham referendum and annexes quote unquote yes. Crimea to Russia. They had a naval base there that yes. they were renting from the Ukrainians. Yes, yes. At the time, anyway. So he, here's going. the why. Here, so. <laughs> There was this thing called the the Russo-Turkish War uh, of 1778, and in that wow. war, this is where the <laughs> a couple naval, of years after 1776. Yep, wow. Okay, yep. keep going. This is where the naval base of Sevastopol was actually established in the, during this war. So again, Russia is technically on the Black Sea, but Crimea it is a much better strategical position than any parts of of actual Russia, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, there's a yeah, there's a yeah. base in Novorossiysk. It's not anywhere close to strategically as important as Crimea. And so um so this naval base was established in Sevastopol, which is on again one of the major cities in Crimea. Um and really the key of that is it gives Russia access to the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. Now obviously Turkey is kind of in the middle of that because Turkey has to allow you to go through the Bosphorus Strait, but Turkey and Russia have had pretty decent relations after this war. And so Russia starts building up this naval base. 
And, you know, through Soviet times, through the 1800s, 1900s, and so on, uh, the the base gets built up. Now, in Soviet times, the majority, uh, the majority of the Soviet army was actually comprised of Russians. And so what happens is, obviously, if you're in the Russian Navy, you're going to go to where the Navy is, and it's in Crimea, which was kind of a part of Ukraine, but also part of the Soviet Union. And so there was a lot of people that were moving to Russia, or excuse me, to Crimea from Russia and establishing, you know, their lives there because they were serving in the Navy, right? Um, in 1997, there were some agreements between Ukraine and Russia. So after the collapse of the Soviet Union, you know, Russia had its Black Sea fleet established in, in, in the city, Sevastopol. Uh, 1997, there was a lease that was agreed upon where Russia would pay Ukraine $97 million a year for this naval base, right? <laughs> okay. okay. $97 million a year. Not too bad. Hey, the oil was, the gas was flowing and it was yep. good times. Okay, exactly. Keep going. So then we had the Orange Revolution in 2004, uh, and the new president, Viktor Yushchenko, uh, he was more pro-Western, Western-leaning. Um, he says, you know what? We're probably not going to renew the lease in 2017 uh, when it expires. Okay, I did not know that. We did not talk about this. No, we haven't. This is what I'm telling you. This is why I want to talk about this. <laughs> so Interesting. Okay, keep going. Keep. So I'm going to keep going here. 2020, again, 2008, uh, they're like we're not probably not going to renew this lease, and yeah. that's going to give Russia some time to, um, you know, move all their stuff out of Crimea. Which again, we knew that was never going to happen. So, wait did did we know that at the time? Though? Of course, this is this is why this is all. Ha- this is what I'm saying. This this whole thing is it's all about Crimea. Okay, so uh, in 2010. The the Russian the Ukrainian president was a man named Viktor Yanukovych, which we talked about, um, who was very much pro Russia, uh, very close to Putin and his you know his regime there. They signed a pact called the Kharkiv Pact, uh, which extended the lease to 2042. Okay, so another long lease that Russia would have for their flagship naval post in the in the Black Sea. Um with the new with Yanukovych. With Yanukovych, yep. When okay, what year was that again? Twenty ten. So Russia kind of breathes a little bit cyberly like, whew, okay, fine. We got a we got our guy in as the president. Yeah. And he's gonna he's gonna go back and correct the the indication. I mean listen, a hundred mil isn't nothing. So. No, it's not nothing, but for them, it's like that—that that is nothing, right? For hundred million dollars, that's like ten minutes of of selling oil on the on the oil exchange for Russia. Um, and this is where okay, so I'm going to dive into a couple things here. Ukraine gets annexed, right? Crimea. Uh, sorry, Crimea gets an yes, Crimea gets annexed, and. Personally, it's a fear of losing Sevastopol, losing this Crimean base, because that just completely isolates Russia from any sort of naval. I mean, they have obviously bases on the Pacific and that sort of thing and some stuff in St. Petersburg, but nowhere near 
as strategically important as in Crimea. So Russia's like, you guys, you guys are getting a new government. You guys are going pro-West. That ain't happening on our watch. We're going to annex Crimea. So they annex Crimea. Um, now, let's talk about some census numbers. Again, census, this is the, uh, I would say, first and only official census that we've heard uh, from a free, independent Ukrainian state. This was done in 2001. And it breaks down some really interesting figures of, of kind of demographics and where, where people consider themselves. So in Crimea, in 2001, uh, in the census, 60.4% of people consider themselves as ethnically Russian. Again, the explanation is the naval base was there and they sent a lot of people from Russia, you know, from the Soviet Union times into Crimea to live there. And they, after their service is done, they're like, hey, this is a beautiful part of the country. Let's let's live there, right? So 60.4% were ethnic Russians. Only 24% were, were Ukrainians. And then we have the, the Tatars and some of the other yeah, minorities right. uh, yep. groups that were living on there. In that same census, a couple other key areas yeah. is Luhansk, right? LNR, Luhansk uh, People's Republic, LPR, or LNR is what, what, what they call it there. Um, ethnic Russians, 39%. Ethnic Ukrainians, 58%. Right? So the crack of the narrative is already starting there, where they were saying, oh, we have Russians in, in Luhansk and Donetsk that... We need to protect. That's not quite true, actually, because there was only 39% ethnic Russians in Luhansk. Very similar story in Donetsk. There was only 38.2% ethnic Russians and 56.9% ethnic Ukrainian uh, Ukrainians in Donetsk. So by them capturing Crimea and then annexing that and then starting these you know, honestly, these separatist movements that that really never existed until Russia got involved. Here's what I think was happening, is they're trying to establish a land bridge from Russia to Crimea via Kherson, via Zaporizhia, uh, Luhansk, and Donetsk. So they, they started capturing Luhansk and Donetsk in... Again, 2014, annex that. And then we've seen with the escalation of this war starting in February 24th yeah. that they're like, okay, we're going to also grab Kherson, Zaporizhia. They, they did referendums, if you remember, just a few months ago. So technically in the Russian mind is that Kherson is still, is actually part of, annexed as part of Russia, which internationally it's observed nowhere else, just only in Russia. And again, they're trying to essentially build a full land bridge because, as we know, Peter, Russia runs on rail. Correct. Russia does not run on shipping. No, yeah, they, they are very lacking. Very heavy dependent on rail. Very heavy dependent. On right. Rail. And and so the ability to for Russia to supply and, you know, essentially, essentially prop up Crimea... Uh, when the war happened, when they annexed it in 2014, was greatly hampered by the fact that there was no connection to Russia. So what they started doing is they built this Kerch Bridge. They built this bridge. They're like, well, we'll build a rail line on it. We'll build some 
you know, roads that cars can drive in and out and that sort of thing. And that's going to, that's going to help out a little bit. And it surely did, right? right it surely right. did because, um, you know, they could bring product in from Russia on rail and they could bring, uh, you know, tourists and that sort of thing all into Crimea. But it's hard to support 2 million people population with just one bridge, one in and out way. Again, Crimea doesn't have like a, a whole <laughs> container, you know, container port where they could bring in it. And Russia doesn't run on containers necessarily. Right. Right. And so this is where, this is where the whole narrative of why Kherson was important, why Donetsk and and uh, Luhansk were important is because they need to build railroads that go from Russia, from Moscow, from all these areas into into these areas that eventually link up into Crimea directly, right? Because there is there's a Crimea is a peninsula and there's a small connection from the mainland into into Crimea and they could so again having two ways to get into Crimea is better than one and massively better, right? Correct. Yes. The other thing that happened was Ukraine shut off. I, I think you were telling me about this uh, earlier on that they shut off access to a, a slough. Is that right? The sluice. The sluice. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, well. Once again, I can't. So when they took, so when they took Hersan, right? Mm-hmm. There is that um, up by the. I'm looking at the map here right now. There is a spot on the on the Dnipro that has a dam on it. Yeah. And the Russians blew part of the dam, or blew at least part of the top of the dam, so you couldn't have a land bridge across. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. But essentially that dam became, or however you want to look at it, became a part of, uh, fell underneath Ukrainian control then. Type scenario, right? Yeah, capacity. Yep. So, uh, even and, even looking at some more information here, Crimea, um, there's a water crisis basically. Yeah, and no. it's an impossible problem to solve, right? Because yeah, no, yeah. what happened was um, Ukraine shut down. There's a canal. It's called the North Crimean Canal, and they shut it down soon after 2014, after Russia annexed it. And so, okay. Russia, Russia took control of it again, though, right? No. So, and in 2015, the canal had been providing 85% of Crimea's water prior to the 2014 shutdown. So, that tells you that this whole, uh, this canal is super, super important. This canal was controlled by Ukraine in Kherson Oblast. That's why they went after Kherson. That's why they went after, you know, and essentially connects everything. And that's kind of where I I wanted to, to... to say is that all of this is really about keeping Crimea and keeping the naval base in in Sevastopol um, alive for the Russians, and that's why they're attacking. That's why they're you know doing these torture chambers. They're doing all this all this war crimes, perpetrating all of that in order to keep. Crimea in their own hands. The, the kicker with that, though, is if when you look at a map, Sevastopol. I mean, just geographically, and by the way, this is going to be a big thing in 2023 geography, but um, this thing is almost the furthest point of the Russian line 
from Russia. Absolutely. Like, I don't want to say it's an island. It's well, it's a but peninsula, it's, but it's but it's it's a part of the. It's like the tip of the peninsula. It's like yeah, it's like the Florida Keys, like Key West in Florida. Imagine. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> if we stuck a military base at the tip of Florida and said, "We want that." Yeah, and the Cubans and the Jamaicans and everybody else was like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's like, can we supply it? Yes, but. But even even Russia has a problem because they don't necessarily have a direct land bridge. Let me clarify that. What I mean by that is they're not connected directly to Crimea. Correct. Let me clarify that. They have the we just talked about that the bridge. They got hit. By the way, did I keep hearing that like the rail still isn't fixed completely? The rail still isn't fixed, but I saw some videos of the actual um, roadway fixed, and as expected massive massive lines of people trying to leave crimea now um ukraine has you know in in their in their macgyver army <laughs> they've proven that listen crimea you guys thought you guys thought you were safe yeah you're not right. safe not safe we talked about it in our last episode about the the you know unmanned uh surface vehicles that were attacking the base um there's been explosions happening there's been partisan activity like Zelensky said this war started with Crimea and this war is going to end with Crimea. And I 100% agree with that. It's going to end with Crimea. I, I keep wondering if the West will allow it. I, that's my only... Well, they have to. You think so? If the West is honest with themselves and honest with them uh, with the borders of you know 20, only... 2013 Ukraine, yeah, they have, to, they have to stand by that word, right? Well, I mean, I will say... We said that we've always said that Crimea was a part of Ukraine and that was annexed improperly. Yep. So when this war kicks off, by the way, this is why what you say in the past statement wise does actually bear some weight to the present situation. Totally. Because what that means is then when you are supporting Ukraine, technically you are supporting the freeing, not of just the new areas that were taken over, you are also you are supporting the idea technically, let me clarify this, of the, the freeing of Crimea again. Yes. Right? Yep. Because you have stated that was illegally taken. We believe Crimea is supposed to be part of Ukraine. Correct. Therefore, your actions... Uh, of course, I say all that, and as we talked in our brief history of Ukraine, the 1990s were filled with a bunch of things that were said one on one side or one said on the other, and... Golly, we just never quite lived up to either one of those on either end. Yeah. But anyways, beside the point. Um, but that is more recent in times. You and I were well alive when this stuff happened, right? Okay, <laughs> yeah. right. So there's a um, there's a meme that went around in, in um that I gotta share about this here. It's it's basically a picture of and, and they used cats and all kinds of different animals, but like yeah. uh, the 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 top two strips are you know, the, on the top <laughs> left is the US saying, We will give you lots of weapons. And then the second one on the right is like, but do not shoot the territory of Russia. And then on the bottom, the bottom left script says Crimea is is Ukraine, and this is the Ukrainians responding to America. Crimea is Ukraine, and then the U.S. on the bottom right says Crimea is Ukraine. <laughs> so I think absolutely you, the U.S. is quite open to strikes in Crimea to take back that land, um, to 
liberate the people there that have been, you know, living in, in this occupation. There's a lot of pro-Russian people, for sure. Yeah. But there's a lot of Ukrainians there. There's a lot of Tatars and a lot of other um, nationalities, ethnicities that call Crimea home. And I don't think that they have really ever lived um, well since 2014. Yeah, Russia has poured in billions and billions of dollars into Crimea. Yes, that's just true. Um, this actually just bring me up to something. Um, let's go back to the, the well of history. Um, sorry, I'll let you finish. Anything yeah. else in Crimea? Okay. Because, no, this does, this is related to the concept of the situation we're dealing with, with Crimea. So, boy, the similarities are just so crazy eerie. In uh, 19, uh, was it 41, too? Um, Operation Bar- or 39, was it? Barbarossa? Barbarossa, yeah. When was the Barbarossa? Um, this is when <laughs> Stalin, who did not trust anybody. Still 40, 41. S- still trusted. The one person he didn't trust was Hitler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, literally, he was sending in supplies into Germany the day that they decided to go into russia okay so massive massive gains quickly right like they get in far blitzkrieg blitzkrieg they go deep as a matter of fact they go deep for many years um uh actually or for quite a while right okay there is a moment when it starts to turn and um all of a sudden it starts slipping Mm -hmm. right and, uh, you know, to, to put things in perspective, Germany wasn't exactly, you know, you know, if you would have went to Ger- any looked at a German household in 1941, yes, there would have been, you know, military and stuff, you know, whatever. You would have seen some remnants of maybe some of the war efforts. But, like, it was a normal day, right? I kind of liken it to, you know, the joke that I, a joke, you know, it's not a joke. But how Jocko Willink said is like, we've been at war for the past twenty years, but you can go down to Starbucks and get your coffee every day and totally. just live your life, right? Yeah, yep. Right. That's that's how we've been doing it. It's been normalized. It's been normalized. Um, the uh, <laughs> so so this is this is what this is kind of what Russia's been like here recently. Like if we, if, I mean, we're condensing a lot of time a lot quicker yeah. for a whole bunch of reasons, but. It's a it's a parallel existence, right? It's a parallel existence, right? Like they're the start of the war, they're out just drinking, sipping, and I was like, "Why is everybody leaving? Yeah, why, why are, are all these the stores store, closing? Why are the stores closing? Hmm, why is why. Starbucks leaving? Yeah, right. Yep. So, um, okay, so that happens, and all of a sudden, I mean, so you start to begin to see like some some effects there. Like all of a sudden, the lifestyle is starting to change a little bit, and just think of Crimea, like right. The first opening, probably three weeks, if you're in Crimea, you're like, dude, they just advanced well. They're on the, they're in Kiev right now. Yeah. Right? Yep. They're in Kiev. And then all of a sudden, oh, they're not even like on the Western side of the country yeah. anymore. Yeah. They're coming back here. Skip forward. Man, Hassan's getting really hit hard here. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, what do you mean they left Hassan? <laughs> okay. You guys everybody understand what I'm saying? Panic. 
they're starting to happen. What do you mean the bridge, the cursed bridge, just got blown up? I can't even imagine what it must have been like to live on on Crimea and see that bridge on fire. Like I can't even imagine. Can you imagine that? Oh yeah, it would be real. The min, like the yeah. the mind game that you have to like you have to tell yourself, well, this is temporary, or yeah, we'll we'll get it fixed. Like, dude, just, that took three years to build that bridge for, for all of us. For all of us in the United States, just imagine this. Um, thank you, Dwight D. Eisenhower, by the way. The the interstate system we all use. Imagine just one of the interstate systems that you guys use for any portion of that just gets a massive hole ripped in the middle of it. You cannot use that. Yeah. What does that do? It forces you to have to find, you're now going through on roads that normally you wouldn't have to go. You're going in directions. It's taking way way more time than it ever should have. Now imagine there's not an internet, another, there's not another road like that. Exactly. For, there, there never is mind, no. mind, there is none. There is none. There's, it's not even, you, there's not even a back road you can take. Yeah. It's a barge or you take the long way. <laughs> Instead of going from uh, New York, or um, what's a good example? Ah, uh, I'm trying to think. Imagine of, the Golden Gate Bridge blowing up. A straight up, right? line across America, right? Okay. Imagine instead you're like, uh oh, <laughs> Illinois has been taken out or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. We've okay. lost Illinois. <laughs> and instead you have to go down to Florida, over to Texas, and then hug that shoulder. And your goal is Washington. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's so, anyway, that's not completely complete. But you get the point. Like it's the thing that has been the thing is not there anymore, or it's under attack and it can't be used. And now that it is up, everybody's getting out of there as fast as they can. Because yep. if it goes down again, wh- how far are the Ukrainian adva- advance is going to be at that point in time? They're already preparing for the attack, to be so, honest with you. So this is the problem. There is a, there's a, um, the, in uh, Ghost of the Ostfront by, with uh, Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin, in the last episode, as the Russians are getting closer to Germany, okay, there is a, there's a scene that he describes, an eyewitness scene on a train uh, inside of, because um, this guy is back from the front inside of Germany. And, like, people are getting a little freaked out or something like that. And uh, somebody, somebody says, like, um, I, hope, I hope the war is okay. And this guy stands up and says, we have to win this war. Yeah. He's like, because the things we have done, if we don't win this war, the things that will be done to us mm-hmm. are on a different scale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you ask that question at the beginning, like, what are people fighting for on the Russian side? Like, I think this is beginning to hit that point of like, if we lose, This is bad, right? We're screwed. We're screwed. They will not be let off easy like the Soviet Union was, like the um, Russia was even when when That's interesting. When, yeah. when it um, when it ended disbanded the Soviet Union, right? Like again, we talked about this in one of our previous episodes. There was no war crimes tribunal. 
there was no investigation into uh, the crimes of the Soviet Union and, and the human rights abuses. There was none of that. This is going to be different. When the war ends, when Ukraine is victorious and takes back all of its territory and Russia is humiliated on the world front, which it already has been, then we're going to see investigations. We're going to see tribunals. Um, there was 90, I've just read this recently. The UK is training 90 Ukrainian judges for the war crimes trials that are going to happen. Think yes. about this. They're preparing for the end of conflict. Not, not only with um, how do we get investors back into Ukraine to start rebuilding, right? but also for how are we going to prosecute the war criminals that have committed atrocities in our land, right? And, and it's, it's not going to be pretty, Peter. <laughs> this is going to be a really long stretched out like Nuremberg trials were how many I was going to say we're going to we're going to see something like Nuremberg trials in our lifetime again Absolutely. in our lifetime in our lifetime that's it's wild isn't it yeah and these these are things you just don't you know yeah. yeah and by the way we're once again we started this episode talking talking about we're not done yet by the way but um we started this episode talking about the uh you know the kids torture and stuff of this nature yeah. How would that not warrant something like a trial like that? It's going to warrant that. How would not the killing of mass people on mass like that not warrant that? If if any of these libertaries, you find anything, I mean, it, we're not going to be shocked if we find something resembling almost like a concentration camp, right? Well, we we know those existed. Yeah. We we know there's filtration camps. They call them filtration camps. Filtration camps, right? Um, the, the, what's okay. Explain that then, please. Well, when, when Russia's uh, first, first couple days and weeks of the war, you know, they're obviously trying to round up the people that were pro-Ukrainian and they put them into these filtration camps. I, we don't know the extent of, you know, how much torture was happening there. We can assume there was something right. Even, even if 1% of the people got tortured, that's something, but they were filtering them out. Like we're, are these POWs then? Are these, you know, what happens to these people? And so there, there are these camps that they set up to filter people, you know, where to send them to, right, essentially. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that this is, the world's going to allow this to happen. My my dad. Without, without punishment. Listen, my dad, and my dad knows I'm very pro, like, support Ukraine. And so he always likes to throw a little, you know, a little jab here and there just sure. to, what I what I mean by jab is like just to like just check yourself a little bit type scenario, but even he with all this torture stuff, he's like there was a he was like there was an American guy who was fighting with the Ukrainians who got captured, mm-hmm. who got tortured himself, but his his recounts he's like I heard women being tortured all the time, yeah, and we've already talked about the rape. On this side of things. Once again, people, we haven't talked about this. In, this hasn't happened in Europe like this since World War II. Not at this level. Not at this level. We saw some stuff with Kosovo. That's true, Kosovo. That, that sort yeah. of thing, but, but not at this level and this cruelty. And, and honestly, what I was going to say here is 
there is an overwhelming amount of evidence. Like, I know that Nuremberg had to train special lawyers to dig and, you know, for evidence to kind of investigate, to ask a lot of people. That stuff is all going to happen here. But the evidence is so much readily available. It, it lives forever now because it's online, right? Videos of this stuff happening live online. And so it's going to be very difficult for anyone to deny plausibility and say, yeah, I was just doing what I was told. No, you weren't. Yeah. And, and we remember going through that and I, I still think sometimes we're so far removed from that. We have some like, Kali, I mean, the whole system is set around that. But here's the thing. We always have thought that the system would have some sort of check or balance in any government at some level to say don't do X. And what we're realizing is, like, you don't, you don't kill people in mass or torture kids on, on this scale without somebody higher up being like, do this. We know the U.S. Or getting the green light from someone, right? We know the U.S. is not perfect. Uh, there has been cases of U.S. torturing people. We talked about that a little earlier. Yep. Um, Iraq War, Vietnam. We've seen some horrific things that U.S. has done. But for the most part, those things got punished. Right. That was not a. That was not sanctioned from the generals. That says, "Hey, we're going to go destroy this this." You're going to level this village and kill everyone and do right. do these atrocities. And right? I, I know we have some glasses on, and we will, we will, we will. I will even readily admit that. But even I will say, at some level, we're actually able to talk about those things. Yeah, we're able to admit those. That's things. That's a good point, right? You can't you can't talk to the Russian people right now. I think it's I think this is like the whole freedom of speech issue. Not only this situation, discrediting of the, the, the armed rapes forces. of the Russian men in World War Two. Yeah. yeah, going back into Germany, like, like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted to end kind of this this section here of Ukraine war updates, and we've we gotten a little bit long, but that's okay. Um, no, this listen, <laughs> there's somebody listening right now, and I know who you. Okay, I know who one of you is. Um, Paul, you you asked for some good material to listen to on a road trip, or whoever you are listening to this. Enjoy, enjoy. Yeah, we're not done. Um, okay. Ukraine's general, uh, the commander of Ukrainian forces, uh, Valery Zaluzhny, uh, famous guy now in Ukraine, famous all over the world. Yeah, um, just because of his, again, kind of MacGyvering the army <laughs> <laughs> and commanding this this armed forces that has managed to do so much so much stuff. Um, he was recently quoted as of even a couple of days ago saying that Russia will try to capture Kiev again and that they're training 200,000 new soldiers. So if you remember, Russia has a reserve of about 1.2 to 1.5 million people. Um, not quite sure how accurate that is anymore because of the mobilization that happened. They definitely have some reserves. Does this, does this also mean like the, this, the loss of men that what do you, left? No, this is so the Russian armed forces has a reserve, just like the U.S. has, of people that have served in the military, but they're trained as reservists that can be called upon when war is, you know, happening. Uh, and so he was saying that there's there's a reserve of a, a lot of <laughs> a lot of Russian men that can be potentially used as a new pool to 
um, be retrained to be trained properly and then be sent to attack Kiev. So um, this is something that's on the minds of the Ukrainian generals and the people probably would happen sometime in in spring, according to his estimates. Um, I think Ukrainians would be even more well-prepared this time. Uh, so that would be... Jeez, at this point in time... That would be a, a complete slaughter. I know this sounds terrible, yeah. but... I mean, if you're Ukraine, are you not just almost turning, you know, your border with Belarus into a North Korea, South Korea, like, minefield? Yeah. I mean... They they have started... They've done that, actually. They've started in... in <laughs> funny to say, the, the oblast where I was born in, Volin, Volinsk Oblast, which is the top... Well, it's in the... I'm say this ways. the western the westernmost pole, uh, border that touches both Poland and Belarus is where I was from. Um, they've actually started building a huge wall, you know, build the wall <laughs> with Ukraine and and Belarus this when time. Though. Big, <laughs> <laughs> but actually they've mined it. They've put razor wire, that sort of thing, right? And 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 preparing for something inevitable potentially from that from that side of things, but. I think uh, just ending on this, that he, Valery Zlozny, the general, thinks that, you know, Ukraine has enough servicemen and really all they need is more weapons. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to drop some figures here. Just how, from my perspective, how little amount of weapons they think they need to really defeat and end this whole war. He says they need 300 tanks, 700 fighting infantry vehicles or infantry fighting vehicles, and then 500 howitzers. That's that's what he was quoted as saying. That's not a lot. 300 tanks. I will say it's a fair amount of men to man all that. It's a fair amount of men, yep. It's a lot of men. Ukraine has them. enough men to man Which, it. This goes back to the thing in, in war, by the way. If you think that uh, AI and the robots are going to take over, it's pretty darn work clear to me that we're going to be fighting with men for a long time in life at this point in time. Yeah. Right. That's just not anyways. Side yeah. point. So that's kind of our update on Ukraine. Um, yeah. A lot of stuff happening. And again, keep your eye open to what's, what's going to happen even in the next coming, coming weeks. Yeah. Winter t- typically slows things down, but Ukraine has the upper hand and the momentum in this. And my, my guess is what they're going to do is, as we talked about earlier, they're going to try to cut that, cut a wedge into that land bridge that they that they currently have, which is very tenable. Still, they're going to strike somewhere in Zaporizhia Oblast to try to somewhere around Melitopol, Mariupol to isolate the northern side of the land bridge and the southern Kherson area to Crimea, which would be, I think, a death blow to Crimea. I think. Um Okay, this this is meant to be a part of the future. How about this? Let's let's wrap. Well, let's maybe wrap up Ukraine a little bit here. Um, predictions. So I have, I've, I have two thoughts there. I think I think Ukrainians are gonna just. If there's anything I hope they do during this time, is they just continue to hit the supply lines. Yep. Over and over and over and over again. Um, the the the. And just be a harassment. I don't even know if I feel like they need to be full on taking over land. I mean, 
maybe take advantage of where opportunities exist. Honestly, maybe even give the Russians a false sense of like they're getting an upper hand somewhere. Uh, that's the one thing that I keep wondering about this war is, for either side actually, is there some level here of, I mean, the Russians are classically draw you in and then they counterattack and get you. In in the past 20th century, let me clarify mm-hmm. that. And that's what I wonder here, just for either Ukraine or Russia on that front, if that's even a possibility, you know, that something can happen there. But um, use of drones, I think drones on those rail lines, uh, not actually in the Hersan Bridge, Curse Bridge, but just the ones that supply uh, the Donetsk area, um, and then that Hersan Oblast area. Yeah. I just feel like that thing has got to topple. Once again, that is, it's not quite like the naval base, but that is like the tip again. That's the tip of supply. Mm-hmm. The end of your, su- there's a snake. That's the end of, that's the tail. Good luck. I mean, I think that'd be difficult for almost any modern army to to reinforce, let alone being harassed across the river constantly. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So anyways, um, that being said, I do feel like Russia has still at least two to three cards. I don't know what they are to play. Um, I think the men thing and just constantly we're going to have to understand that they just view life completely different, not just with Ukrainian lives and obviously with torture, but also with their own military men. And uh, like I said earlier, I think that at some level here, some things will start to sink in that um, your comrades and you have done some pretty nasty things in the eyes of the world. And can you just can you just give up? Yeah, does that make sense? Yep. So that's that's kind of where I'm I'm going on that front with with the current status. As well as then, I think that we could see Russia do one of two things. Maybe something happens to the leadership. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of over that. I don't think that's going to happen, to be honest. But uh, I think I think escalation is going to be inevitable, um, uh, including on their side. And I think that eventually, eventually, they're going to need to say, I think they have to tell the populace, listen, this was meant to be an operation. We are still having success, but we need to finish this thing. Yeah. And so we now need to mobilize on a different scale. Yeah. And just take the punch from the people. Yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll and mobilize, use the, mobilize everyone. They'll use the Soviet. If not you, then who? Correct. You know, right. they'll use that kind of the, the mentality. And, and again, the life, the value of life is, is very low um, in Russian society, especially in the military. Um, you know, we have movies about, you know, saving Private Ryan, uh, which is based on based on a true story. Yeah, we have movies in the United States that talk about you know her- heroism of entire um, platoons that go and rescue one guy, and that's not very common in, in the Russian army. Let's just say it that way. No, their videos are going to always, and don't be wrong. Ours do too, but they're going to always going to show some level of like 
self-sacrifice for the cause. Yep. You know, you're outmanned, you're outgunned, but you strap a anti-tank grenade to yourself Correct. and you dive underneath the ant- the tank. Yep. That type of stuff. Correct. Yep. Yeah, All so right. that's uh that's kind of a <laughs> a short update. Short update on Ukraine. <laughs> short hour and a half okay. long update. All right. Get your bathroom break in. Here we go. Um uh <laughs> um all right, so there's other stuff we will not spend it on as long, but we do feel like we want to talk about some stuff that is still happening or has happened this year that we haven't really gotten time to cover, and we want to just highlight this. I'm going to start, if that's okay. Yeah. I'm going to start with uh, China. Okay. And the reason I want to start with China is because this is one that I think all of us are a little bit more acutely attuned to on a multiple front. People wonder if, like, oh, is there going to be a war between uh, Taiwan and China? Is China going to invade Taiwan? Uh, I will say the most recent elections in Taiwan make me a little bit... I think Taiwan does not want to have a war. I don't think anybody wants to have a war. Let me clarify that. But, like, I think they really don't want to have a war. Now, that being said, um, Taiwan has purchased, uh, if I understand correctly, Western... Defense systems, things of this nature, and so those are being shipped to um, Taiwan. Um, another one of China's border states, which should be noted here, Japan. If you need, to, if you want to, honestly, if you were to give a Asiatic country an MVP award for the 21st century, I'm going to give it to Japan. Hmm. I know that, like, they have gotten. They have gotten. They're they're not doing so well economy wise right yeah. now. Technically, yeah. Um, so let me get that out of the way. But this is this is historically present. So let's give a little history here, okay? And if you need if you need a good long history, Supernova in the East. By the way, episode two is about the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh yeah, um, highly Dan, recommend Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin. Um, but either way, those people. Japan has been, you want to talk about, you think Russia is a pariah right now? Japan has been a pariah for, they will be a pariah for going on a century now at this point in time, pretty soon. Japan is? Japan will be, yes. Okay. In the eyes of China. Oh, okay. In the eyes of Korea. In the eyes of probably the Philippines. In the eyes of all these, okay. So Japan... From World War II. From what they've done. By the way, once again, we think of, when we think of World War II, we think of like, you know, the terribleness of the Nazis and the concentration. And don't get me wrong, that is true. (laughs) The whole concept of following orders, though, with Japan, no, they just did it. Like, there was no, there wasn't no orders. It was just like, everybody was an island of themselves and they just went haywire the rape of Nanking is one of those things in your life that will just make you sick to your stomach on a level that is it's so hard it's so hard to listen to that but it's it's i think it's good for people to hear it because they need to understand because they need to understand why why even you know um some uh, let's put it this way to modern day past 10 years i talked to um college recruiters one time or something mm-hmm. like that and they would say Oh, you want to talk about like almost kind of a racist mentality sometimes? He's like the the Asian, mm-hmm. pop, and he's like more specifically 
Japan versus everybody else. Interesting. Like, cause they, there's, there's like a, there's a fundamental belief that like those, they did terrible things to us and yeah. they did. They surely did. They, yeah. they really did. Let me be very clear on that. Um, I'm not going to tone that down, you know, say that they did not do that. So Japan has had this like car- nasty karma weight just hanging over them all their life. But see, this is unlike Russia. They had an atomic bomb hit them. Yeah. They had to like rechange their society. They had to start acknowledging some of the things they did. Now, don't get me wrong, there's still some Japanese nationalism that wants to deny some of this stuff, mm-hmm. as there is in every country. Like they've had to have a little bit of a reckoning. They've had to change their way. By the way, I love my Honda <laughs> Odyssey. Yeah. A lot of people like their Toyota van. Do you know that Toyota was the engines in the fighters that yeah. f- flew against America? Mitsubishi used to develop the zero planes that attacked Pearl Harbor. Honda came up with this crazy motor. He tried to sell it to Toyota, and he, and they wouldn't take it. Yeah. He called he called the uh, he tried to build a a factory or something like that. And when they were bombing. <laughs> He called it gifts from, who was the president then? Was it Truman? No. Roosevelt. Roosevelt, sorry. Yeah. Gifts, why were we thinking Roosevelt? Gifts from Roosevelt, because he was yeah. able to use it to build, rebuild mortar or something. Like, the story is wild, okay? It is wild. But the, just think about that. In America, we are using, honestly, we have a, the highest rating, basically, from Japanese vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> that we all use. I know my uh, my my father-in-law is a diehard Ford Chevy guy, whatever. Yeah. But like that's the thing. Okay. So Japan, let me get forward to now. Karma karma wait. Everybody's realizing China's the bully here. Yeah. Not Japan. And anymore. all of a sudden, all of a sudden these differences are starting to go down. Mm. The Shinzo Abu, the guy who got assassinated this year. Is yeah, that right? Shinzo Abe, yeah. Another one of those 22-year wild things, dude. Wild scenario on that yeah. one. Um, okay, so that happens. Um, That guy was really good. It, basically saying, he did a good job, I would say, of saying, hey, we messed up, but we need to move on as a country. And we need, we need to change because things are changing. Yep, and they are changing demographically. Every country is dealing with some demographic issue at this point in time. Japan is in, is definitely one of them. So what do they do? Their number their number one enemy eighty years ago is now they bought their way they got their way into the alliance with America. We are they just like this happened this month. They are getting 1,000 cruise missiles. What? These these guys are basically going to be a part of the ring now that's like, don't, don't F with us, basically, right? <laughs> don't do this. Like, right? And by the way, they kind of need it because there's, like I said, there's there still is this history there that we have history with them, that somehow, I don't know if it's the benevolent American thing, yeah. like, we forgive you, 
hey, we have great trade. You have great vehicles. You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we love your technology. We love your technology. <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, whereas China has like, they have a museum that would put probably a lot of museums in America to shame just dedicated to the atrocities of Japan. Yeah. Like it is ingrained in their society. These people are the worst. You know, I mean, like, I mean, I'm kind of mincing words there a little bit, so don't take it. But but that is true. Like the, they have a they have dedications to the atrocities that were done to them from yeah. the Japanese, and yeah. that is true probably of many places in Asia. Yeah. Yep. So um. So anyways, but Japan has found a way to turn that leaf. We are now an ally with Japan, Australia, Taiwan. Okay, you're starting to see like yeah. this. It's a it's a. It's a defensive wall, isn't it? South Korea? Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, for South Korea to find ways to work to kind of bridge that gap with Japan, people, this is, it has taken 80 years for this to happen. Okay, that's how. That's a really good point. That, this, this, And so let me be clear. When we're talking about this with Japan, you need to understand something. Japan was the Russia of its day. Yeah. So just just put that in perspective. If everything goes well, it's going to maybe take three generations for Ukrainians to maybe find some ways to make some peace. Yeah. With with the Russians. That is history in the present. And the future playing out in front of us. And by the way, I listen, that's why I say MVP to Japan, because they found a way to like work through nasty. I mean, by the way, they weren't kind to the Australians either. Everybody heard no. of the, everybody heard of the, um, uh, oh, the Bataan Peninsula, uh, the Bataan Death March, Bataan Death March. Yeah. Okay. Okay, like those people, there's a history there that is so difficult, and that's why so many people um, that fought on uh, in the um, Pacific War just could, it, 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 they can't really even they were never ever able to talk about it. Probably a good book for that. Once again, Supernova in the East is a good thing to listen to from Dan Carlin. But the uh, the, the war our fathers thought fought is one of those things where it actually gives eyewitness accounts and tries to communicate what it was like back hmm. then. And just it just helps give perspective. Like it's taken a long time. Um, so, anyways, I say that to say that is that's one of those things. So now China is they're starting to realize like okay, this is becoming an issue, and that's that's just externally. Internally, you have President Z. That dude is a cult of personality yep. bigger than Trump. That dude is <laughs> that guy is he's got no one talking to him. Yeah, because you'll shoot the messenger. Yeah. So everybody's just making decisions. We've already talked about the craziness of them spraying down um, runways to disinfect it from COVID. Okay. The COVID lockdowns, there was just recently that building that burned down because people were literally locked in it. From the outside. From the outside. And people lost their minds. They're like, you can't do this. The video (laughs) to me that just, uh, hard to watch, right? It's, a video of someone uh, from a high-rise in China 
videotaping what happens at night. They open the window and you can hear thousands of screams. Screams? Thousands of screams in a Chinese city because everyone is locked. Everyone's locked in from the outside. They they put screws on the doors and they, they lock the doors from the outside. You can't even go in. Okay. We, unreal. Unreal. Earlier on, there were drones that said, no joke, translation, people, calm your urges for freedom. That was literally <laughs> yeah. the translation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You, we can't, it, that doesn't even, I mean, it's so, listen, 2022 is like one of those years that's like, oh, you thought it was over. No, it's going to get more bizarre. You thought 2022 was, was bad? That was yeah. bizarre to watch. Yeah. And then, yeah, the whale screams like it's wailing it's almost like people are like in this the the level of morale is so low because what can you do um type scenario and by the way so that's that's part of it um okay one thing here that is bubbling up right now like right now december and this is kind of an interesting uh water crisis Hmm. okay so i remember watching this video and it was kind of cool like the river that flows, uh, the Yangtze River, Yangtze, Yangtze, Yangtze River. Yeah, yeah. It was on a border with North Korea. I want to say that's where the yeah. Americans stopped. Um, back in the Korean. I War. could look it up. Yeah, yeah, look it up. Okay, but either way, and maybe you can look this up. There was this old, like, I don't know if it was like a shrine or like this little statue figurine that had been built. Or like carved into this rock, and and because the water was so low, it reemerged after all these years. Okay, it's the Yalu Yalu River, Yalu River. between North Korea oh, and China. You. Yep. Yeah. So see if you can find like shrine appear Yalu River or something like that, and like this guy like kayaks out there and like walks up to it and like takes a picture with it or something like that, and because it's it's so old, it's it's and re- basically it hasn't appeared. Since, you know, no one really ever knew existed it, right? Um, I We saw a little taste of that actually here where we are right now. There's a river that goes by my um, father-in-law's house. And this is true. Actually, this is true in a lot of areas across the world right now. The, the river was so dry here, you could take a vehicle down <laughs> the riverbed. Wow. You could drive down it. In in China, imagine a massive river that has supplied water for everything. It's gotten so low that things that haven't been around for, probably haven't been known about for centuries, are appearing again. Mm. It's that low. There's a water crisis. So what has happened recently? You can pull this up. And it's it's kind of there's been a lot of memes that have gone around, but actually it's really sad. So China needs water, and they have I think they have access to like a sluice gate once again, or some sort of dam, or something of this nature. So they're getting water in, but they're taking it from their neighbors. Mm. And the neighbor specifically is the India China uh, water clash. You can look that up. Um, by the way, you can look at the footage of this. It's wild. There's guys with like sticks just beating on each other. And these are Indian soldiers versus 
and yes, Chinese I soldiers. Saw that. Yes, beaten, and you don't you don't understand the context of it, but it's a it's a dispute, and what the primary dispute is is basically over the water stuff. And so this is happening like right now, right now this is happening. And so with all the other issues with China, the COVID lockdowns, the which by the way means they're not making stuff, which means that they're having monetary issues. Yep. Other countries, by the way, all this. This is, uh, Apple is responding by pulling, trying to diversify all, yes. out of China, right? Because they're, you can't create iPhones when everyone's locked down. Right, you can't. And, and, or they're locking them down at the plants. Foxconn is having riots right. because they're like, we want to go home. We've been here for, was it three weeks or three months? It was wild. Yeah. Right? They haven't, they haven't left the facility. <laughs> so... Um. Yeah, and uh, and last thing on that is just the financial side of this. So obviously, the whole issue with the economy with within China is not good. Um, young people, we touched on this highlight a little bit. They have a mass. They, they do not have a high outlook on life right now. No, uh, at all. Um, if you are a young adult in in China right now, you have. If you're a young adult male, you have a terrible outlook on life right now. Um, just to highlight that once again, uh, they, they believe they've overcounted the population by 100 million people, China. And overcounted, you said? Overcounted their population by 100 million people. Their demographics are in such a level that, and the problem is that overcounting is during the one-child policy. Either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because it's not that you should have had kids you know, you know, um, you should have more kids now. It's like you should have had more kids 40 years ago. And that's passed. And the other problem of this, because the one child policy, all the people really focused on males yep. versus women. Yep. So the problem is, do the math, people. Two males to every one girl. Mm. Statistically, it will be impossible. Just think of that. Impossible. Hmm. Hmm. For this is society collapse. It's a societal collapse. That is happening right now because their population is aging. They had oh the boomers gosh. just like we do, except our boomers actually had, had kids. Had lots of kids. That's us. The millennials. Yeah. And thankfully we're we're having kids. Probably need to have more, but that's, that's beside the yeah. point. Um, um, and we're the only, by the way, we're the only country basically in the world and this post-industrial world, how about that, that is basically on that track right now. Um, so my prediction is this. China, you're going to see some stuff with China that's going to be wild. I don't know if they're not going to get themselves in, into a war even if they wanted to or not, I'm not sure that they will be able to avoid it right now. Um, eventually, I think Russia and China are, they're going to be forced to work with each other. But I don't think Russia is very happy right now with the oil cut up being slashed or like the prices that China's buying their oil yep. at. Yep. And Russia was always anticipating that they'd probably find a way to get back into the graces. That's gone now. And China is reluctant to, to jump into this war because they see what's actually happening. They see what the world reaction is, has been to this war, and they see the performance of the Russian equipment, which a lot of their own stuff 
is based on that equipment. So it's like, you know, I see, I definitely see the reluctance of China trying to get into that, into the space with Russia even closer. And they're, they're, they're sort of milking the Russian oil economy by getting a lot of cheap oil, a right. lot of cheap. And, and so, you, yeah. And so the, the problem is, is like, let's say that goes away. Um, you know, the, the other side effect. So, okay. The other thing I just want to highlight here as well is well, we talked about this a little bit is the issue with energy overall in the world. Um, this goes back to Europe. Let's go back to Europe right now for a second. Um, the 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 third economy in the world is uh, Germany, correct? Yep. I think the fourth is the UK, if I'm not mistaken on that. Germany's economy is going to collapse. The th- yeah, the third one is actually Japan. Oh, Japan. Okay. Yep. Second is China. Third is Germany. Uh, UK. Sorry. First is US, then China, then Japan, then Germany, then UK. UK. Yep. Okay. Let's just take this down in order. China is struggling. Japan's currency is just starting to crash in front of us a little bit mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Still, I, like I said, I still give them kind of the MVP, to be honest, um, for the very reason I just talked about. Uh, Germany. Germany. Uh, by the way, uh, UK is right behind them. UK just got to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah. Honestly, UK, I know you don't like everything about the US. You, you need to make a deal like now because it's not going to get any better. With the US? You, are you going to make a deal with Europe right now? Europe can't make a deal. Yeah. Right? They, they're having the, the issue I'm talking about with energy. That's affecting the UK. Who is your trade partner going to be, UK? You need to make a deal and make it fast because you're... Listen, you can say what you will about Biden or Trump. Both of those guys are like, eh, we want to sweeten the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. They're both on this level now. So you're going to have some stuff you don't like. We have the negotiation power. We have the us. negotiation power. Yeah. But but trust me, it's not going to get, it's not going to get easier. Actually, I just found this out. They were ready to sign. You know what day they were ready to sign? February 24th. January 6th. Oh, my gosh. No way. Yes. No way. Yes. And then they pulled out of that decision, well, it, obviously. It just got completely wrecked. Everything got thrown out of place. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Don't. But don't. Don't wait any longer, UK. Just, just... You got to figure this out. But anyways, okay. All right, so here's the reason why I'm bringing this up. Because Germany is going to be, I'm going to put this UK right right behind them. Germany's economy, manufacturing, they've been able to do all this manufacturing power based off of the fact they've had cheap Russian gas. Yep. Listen. Extremely cheap. Extremely cheap. Yeah. That is gone. And that is going to be gone for a while. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. When your prices go up sixty percent or something, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's insane. So what's happening is that money is now getting funneled to us. The U.S. The US always finds a way to. The win. U.S. always finds. A, sorry, guys, I'm not. <laughs> we're not trying to. 
Listen, I'm starting to understand why some people are like, yeah, the, the Americans blew that one up. They totally blew up yeah. the pipeline. I, I I understand where that mindset comes from. Because yeah. we seem to be winning here, here, here. We have problems. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I've always put that in perspective with however, whatever else everybody else is dealing with. Um, they are burning. So Germany was like, oh, they're doing all the green stuff. Germany is, like, burning. They're burning coal. They're burning... <laughs> Is it lignite? What's that? They're burning this wet coal right now. It is the most polluted form of energy that exists. It's not. It's a wet coal. It's oh, like the. God. It's like the cloggiest. You know. And by the way, the reason why I bring that up is because UK is right behind them. They yeah. don't have any other options. They're yeah. doing the same exact thing. Right and they now. were shutting. They were shutting down a lot of nuclear reactors. I remember yes. earlier in this decade and earlier, really in the in the twenty first century, they're like, we're going to shut this stuff down because environmental reasons, or because you know, really the the fear was like a nuclear disaster, right? I remember after Fukushima happened in twenty eleven, a lot of nations are like, we're gonna we're gonna phase out nuclear. I understand that, but they didn't count. And nobody counted this war Correct. to come and, and the escalation to happen. And now they are, it's, it's, it's so bizarre, right? It's like, we've, we want clean energy. We're going to focus on that. But the war happened. Our gas got shut off. We have to restart these smoggy coal burning power generation facilities because we can't do it with, nuclear because we've either decommissioned it or it's going to take too long to ramp up whatever the whatever the, whatever case, the case is yeah i just that blows my mind right and i think you're right on that i think you're right that we it would be in in their best interest to make a deal with the states um because in our previous episode we talked about this we do a thing called shale fracking yes and one of the again one of the byproducts one of the waste products of shale fracking is natural gas. We we I hate I hate I, I know when I say this, I know there's somebody in Europe right now that's listening to us and just furious when I say this. And I get it. Honestly, I'm kind of upset about I, it. Absolutely. But I can tell you right now, I could take you up five hours from here and we can watch the glows at night of the of the just we are burning natural gas yeah. <laughs> like it's a party <laughs> we are <laughs> sorry i can't help it it's like we're lighting just hundreds of dollars of bills and just <laughs> waving them in the air while they burn up but that's what we're doing that's what we're doing and it, is it? Do you know much about that? Is it because we can't capture it Don't, all, or nobody has a nobody has had it? And it's like it's like one of those things. You're like somebody for the for the love of everyone, figure this out. Yeah, let's you know. Um, so okay, prediction then for 2023. I think the end of the green energy, the green some of the green energy movement is going to have its biggest blow next year. Um, listen, we just had that new hydrogen like breakthrough m- moment here just recently in the United States, mm-hmm. which was awesome. It's going to take 40 years for that to become like a big thing. Yeah, that was just 
that was a huge breakthrough. Many years uh, happened. Many uh, years happened. Many, yeah, many decades of like research and all that stuff has been put in to make that thing happen. But we are nowhere close to getting nowhere close. No, let me very clear on that. Nowhere close. It is a breakthrough for mankind. Yeah, it's like it's like us landing on the moon. We haven't been back yet. Okay. It's going to take a long time for this thing. I mean, and by the way, this goes into the next phase. Yeah. The green energy stuff, the whole battery thing. Mm-hmm. People keep, listen, I get it. I, I get the whole concept of why we want green. I want green. I want a Tesla. I want a Tesla. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I want to I fly around. I just saw a Tesla drive by me the other day. And I'm like, you know, just I just, I, you know, I just wanted it. But, like, the batteries, people, here's the problem. This is this is going to come to an end. I, it's going to start to come to an end next year. I, at least, I'm sure better darkon hope you win. And by the way, anybody in Europe, anybody in the U.K., once, we make it, once you make a deal with the U.S., you need to start pressuring us to start getting you actual natural gas and fuel. Because we have an abundance, and we aren't even... Yeah. We're not tapping it very well right nope. now. Nope. Um, but here's, okay, so here's the, people are going to say, all oh, fossil fuels. Listen, those aren't going away. I, I'm i all about improving things. Like the hybrid stuff and all this stuff is really good. And I, I but the reality is it's not going away. And people will say, well, batteries is going to be the future. Do, do we have, I think nobody has quite understood until now, I think, at least for myself, how much energy of crazy pollution happens for that battery to be made. Yes. To even get in the vehicle. By the way, the other side of this is, you want to talk about like, oh, the Saudis and all this stuff, all the corruption, all this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Okay, we're talking with like four or five players, all right? Mm -hmm. Batteries, we're talking about, it's like seven to 10 countries. Yeah. And the corruption, and by the way, Russia's still on that list. It is. Yep. In every single one of those categories, Russia's yep. still on that list. You, 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 don't, you don't want to escape it. So it's not going to get easier. And we're just going to have to understand there's, there's some deals we're going to have to deal with. And this green thing, I listen, I'm all for <laughs> getting things better. But the sun doesn't shine all the time. Mm-hmm. The wind doesn't blow all the time. Mm-hmm. We're going to need fossil fuels for a long time. Let's make peace with that. I honestly believe that. I really, it's my, it's my, it's honestly, I would actually probably even be even more supportive of our president if he was just like, hey, we all want green. Yeah. Right now, we need energy just to get lower. And we need to help our allies. Yeah. Let's turn the spigot on. This will come to an end at some point in time. But until then, it's just going to be this cycle that everyone it feels the pain with. I think there's kind of a false narrative around green stuff. Like, it's either or, right? It's like we are, you know, and you hear it from both sides of the the, the greenish debate, right? It's like right. we are we're going full on. Let's burn as much coal as we can. We've got abundance of coal. We've right. got all this. Let's extract it. Forget about the green stuff, right? You hear that side of it. Then you hear the other side. It's like, we are going fully electric, 
fully uh, battery powered solar wind, you know, we need to essentially decommission every, we need to close every plant down, coal burning, anything that scares us that is, you know, harming the environment essentially. Well, that's, you can't have that approach and actually be successful in energy generation, energy storage, all that stuff. You have to have both, I think, right? Personally, I think you have to have both. Be- I agree, yeah. Because, you know, some states um, in, this, in, the, in the United States, they do the majority of their energy sources is hydroelectricity, right? South Dakota, where we're based out of. That's would- right. Is we it the have, Dam? We have a couple dams that actually generate a ton, a ton of electricity. Um, and we're more of a red state here, you know, so people kind of have that, you know, first mentality. Like, we're fossil hey, fuels all the way, right? Even, even I can't believe I'm going to say this, even Hillary Clinton called us the Saudi Arabia of wind. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the Saudi Arabia of wind. Uh, oh, my gosh. Anyways. Yeah, so there's a lot of country or states that that they're already using, you know, more green uh, alternatives to right. energy generation just by the natural uh, landscape that has, uh, you know, they're using, right? There's other states that are using more coal, like West Virginia, heavy coal, heavy, heavy coal. That's just what they have. But I think you have to have a balance between green, and I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm like, I... Listen, I want a Tesla not necessarily for, you know, climate change or, you know, global warming reasons. I want it because it's the future, man. That's like... That, that, it is that's the future a, that's at a, some a, level. That's a taste of what the future is going to hold yeah. in greater quantities, in in more accessibility, cheaper, all that stuff right now, right? Um, and so... And I think a lot of... I think what's happening in the whole... What's helping the the battery debate or the battery uh, discussion is now a lot of companies, most of the automakers are like, yeah, this is the future. Yeah. It's going to, like you said, it's costing a lot of money to create and a lot of pollution to create these batteries. L- people, a lot of pollution to create those batteries. I will counter that and say there's new startups saying, hey, instead of throwing away these batteries when the car dies or out of service oh, yeah. let's recycle this stuff we can we can bring it down to the bare elements okay rebuild it recycle it right that is very fair that is very fair and, i yeah i think you're right i think you're right on that yeah and the industry yep. i think is going to go to a to a place where um they haven't closed the cycle right the the, the closed loop cycle of like you you use a bunch of raw materials you produce it and then you, Right now, it goes to waste. Mm-hmm. They need that recycle the, the cycle of recyclability to actually be more impactful, and then eventually use less material, which eventually uses less, you know, pollution and all that, all the other stuff that comes with it. But that's the future, and I think car industry realizes it. It's helpful too that not only Tesla is working on this, or you know, some uh, startup like Polestar, or Rivian, but the actual like Ford. Is, is Ford is the F one fifty electric right Ford Lightning right? Um, you've got GM. You've got just about every single car manufacturer out there. Even Honda, Honda has been like super reluctant to go electric. Same with Toyota, very conservative on on electric. 
they already have plans for going electric. And um, that helps everyone, but it's <laughs> it's not helpful when the rest of the infrastructure is not designed or geared towards making it useful, right? I would also say it doesn't help when the infrastructure for what you need to make the battery is not on your home soil. Correct. Or anywhere near your home soil. Um, that's That's my only... My biggest caveat to all of that right now is I want to get to a place where this will be a very popular thing, but yeah. that, that's that's my issue right now is just ge- geographically. Okay. Um, last last thing um, for my prediction for 2023. Dude, 2023 is going to be the year of AI in a way oh that gosh. we will never, we have never seen the likes of ever before. I'm telling you right now, I run a digital marketing business. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. I would even say in the last 20 days, yes. things have stepped up on a level that I would have been shocked at. I've been buying AI tools this year and just kind of hoping one of them takes off in a new way or something like that, or just diversifying. There's some stuff that has come out today, this the past 20 days. OpenAI chat, GPT, try it out. It's free. It will not be free forever. Um, It will not be. I will raise my hand to say I'm going to be happily be paying for that sucker. Yeah. Um, And that's just the start. That is just the start. I am seeing people do things now utilizing that. Yes. I've used it at work, bro. Um, By the way, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because the reason why this is so unique is because that sucker is not is very it can do crazy scenarios. Yeah, I I asked it. To, I said, "Give me an outline for what you'd say for marketing goals, setting aside marketing goals for 2023." Mm. Dude, it was unreal, mm. unreal, industry specific. Try it, everyone. Try it. I had a um, excuse me. I've had I had a friend send me a video. Uh, for he would he did like praise and worship for his church. Yep, the thing wrote a praise and worship song with the core. Or did you send me that? Yeah. You sent me that, dude. Yeah, what on earth? It wrote the chords. Yep, yep. I asked AI to write a um, a new psalm to the Bible, and it wrote me a, a psalm. Like there's 150 psalms. It wrote 151. <laughs> It's it's mind boggling what this open okay open AI chat GPT thing can right. do. So here here here's the issue I'm seeing though the 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 negative part of me. Yeah. Okay, we are seeing this now in this capacity. All right, take away the creative fun like you know, all that stuff that is really truly cool. Um, what's the negative stuff? Um, basically. It seems to me that you're going to be able to do some stuff at scale if you're a propagandist country, yeah. if you are Russia, anything of this nature. You're going to be able to start doing stuff at scale in a way that just hasn't been done before. Um, the other flip side of this is we just talked about AI and that stuff. I shared with you, listen, people, we're trying to work on a video version of this. I'm talking with Serge about some options. But there's one company out there called... Um, 
Ah, I can't remember what I shared with you. Authority? No, I can't remember what it's called. Um, anyways, it's an AI for video and just like some switching stuff and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's just the commercial grade stuff to me. What's like the high level stuff? People have been talking about the deep fake stuff that's been happening in the past two mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Okay, that's going to get to a different level. And this is where I think the war propaganda and we talk about the real time stuff, 2023 may become very difficult for, for a lot of things. And by the way, this can be flipped. What if you sent a video of a Russian base being blown up and and you're the enemy and you pushed it into yeah. Russia? You get Russia to do something that it just... Yeah. If you're China, listen, you have lockdown on stuff, but what if somebody creates a video and pushes it and you start making decisions based on that video or videos? Yeah. And they're all... F- they're deep fakes. Yep. This, like, o- open AI, from a propaganda perspective, is, I mean, Goebbels would have killed to have something like this, right? The I never deep, thought of it like the, that. You're right. The Dang deep it. fake stuff. Dang it. Imagine a deep fake of Roosevelt saying, we surrender. Imagine what that does to the German psyche in World War II, right? Even if they were losing. Imagine what that could have done to turn the tides of, of certain battles and potentially even the war. So I think you're 100% spot on on the fact that these chat tools, these um, you know AI deep fakes are going to be used in such a way that we've never really contended with it before. We've, ne- we've never had the creativity for it yet. Exactly. Like, that's what it's exposing, like... <laughs> I thought I was creative. I'm kind of in the creative field, right? I right, thought I was yeah, like, yeah. creative. I can't even gener- I can't even think of like certain creative things to ask OpenAI to do. And I have to look at prompts and it gives me some amazing prompts, but then it's like, I would have never even thought of that. The, okay. <laughs> once again, his- history. Once again, I'm going to go back to the second episode of Supernova in the East 2. The guy who came up with the plan to bomb Pearl Harbor creativity yeah he that dude was doing weird stuff locking himself in rooms and just forcing himself to think so imagine if like somebody says what are our options what if you're a government what are our options that we can utilize on the information front yeah this is why i'm saying like i don't i don't think it's probably already happening in front of us we don't realize it but now that's becoming like almost accessible to the people in a commercial way and mm-hmm. anyone like either a what does that mean when people are just doing it all the time mm-hmm. or b what is the higher end stuff of this look like that governments have access to that are keep leveling up by the way i've been told in six months there's going to be an update to that system and it's going to get no, I can't believe that. I, I just, I refuse to believe that. Somebody said 500 times better. I, can't, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I, I do have one though that I have in sure. the, invest that gives me real time. I will say, give me the updates of the game last night and it will give me that. I'll say, write it in an introduction paragraph. It'll give me, yeah. it's wild people. Yeah. It's, it's buckle up. So I've used OpenAI, ChatGTP, Chat actually uh, just testing this at work. Um, like, you know, write it. Write an email. You know, asking people to do some training, for example, right? Right. And it wrote this perfect email. 
Like, oh, yeah. And I, I just changed a few things in it, you know, uh, to localize oh, By the it. way, when you, say per, when you say perfect, okay, not like 100%, but be honest. Like what, 93, 95? Like 98% perfect. 98%. Yeah. Yes. Like I changed, I, I think I only changed, um, I changed a couple of words just to sound it, make it sound like me, right? Kind of my writing right. style. But man, imagine this for marketing, for sales, right? Generate, you know, one of the one of the uh, topics or kind of uh, the generation things that you can do with OpenAI, uh, the prompts is like impersonate a salesperson, and then you can tell it what to do, right? And it just it will go on the internet and it, it, find all these sales. Uh, you can you can I asked it to create a ten, uh, like a ten different variants of a text message that I can send to clients, for example. And it just, dude, it, it just gave, it told, gave you it gave you ten variations, ten fantastic variations of text message I could send to clients. This changes the like. Okay, the other thing that a lot of people don't know about this Chat GTP thing, which is blowing up, is that it actually is hooked up to GitHub. It it has Git all of GitHub's essentially code. So code, GitHub yeah. is this this database that a lot of developers use to store their code. They publish like you know we built a tool to do something. Here's a here's the repository. Here's all the code. OpenAI has searched that, crawled that database. It was trained on that database, and so a lot of developers are starting to use that to augment their development efforts. Like, hey, uh, I saw I read an article of one. Silicon Valley executive that does, you know, he's a developer, director of development at, at some kind of Silicon Valley company. And he, he has what's called code challenges. So when you, you know, when you're in, interviewing for a job there or any, any code, you know, company for, right. for writing code, they ask you to do some challenges. Some of it's like very simple, like, you know, make this array in a certain way or do some, do some kind of basic code stuff. And then they go into, here's a take home, assessment that you're going to want to do before we hire you because we want to make sure that you know how to code right you can you could say you do but we want to make sure and he's like what used to take a day for an applicant to do i cut that three seconds it's changing it and it's like it's changing the game for even writing code um we've it's it's we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what this this chat gpt can do um just because it is it is constantly being it's constantly being updated actually their website crashes because so many people are using it it took like 20 days for a million people to to, to start using it versus instagram like <sighs> wait how many days i'm going to look this you up you said there's a million people using it in yeah. 20 days yeah holy cow I gotta yeah. look this up because this is yeah. this is okay. But this is what I mean. This is this is going to be the next thing in twenty twenty three on the technology front, right? Am I wrong on that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think um, it's just a question of can infrastructure be in place to handle all this, also handle the repercussions of this. By the way, okay. Excuse me. Um, well, sir, just looking this up. <laughs> there are some limitations that tries to like, there's, you know, because people start to ask, well, because people, people ask like, how do I kill somebody? Yeah. And the things like, 
I'm sorry, I can't do this to you. I can't help you with this or something like this. I mean, once again, this is a Goebbels, like, I see what you're saying. Goebbels would have loved something like this. Right. With his own little, like, direction behind it. Um, but, dude, there's ways around it. You can trick it. Yeah. And it will tell you crazy. <laughs> Imagine, oh, sick. I can't get over that. You're, you're getting an outline, like, oh, do these steps. This mm-hmm. is how you would do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So keep going. Um, so, okay. I just, I just found this. This is wild. So, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, user growth is kind of a, a big metric in the, the, you know, the online tools uh, and really just any sort of a company that, it wants to track user growth. So we're going to start off with Netflix. It took Netflix um, 41 months to reach a million users. It took Twitter 24 months, so two years, to reach a million. It took Facebook 10 months to reach a million. Instagram, two and a half months. Instagram blew up, right? We saw that fast. Chat GTP, do you want to guess? Throw something out there. Peter. I'm fine. I, you know, I'm going to say you were uh, you were lowballing it. I'm going to, or it was it was actually more like 23 days. Five days. What? It took five days for a million people to sign up to use ChatGTP. And I don't the, the like it's causing the website to crash because so many people are now using ChatGTP uh, or GPT. I keep me- I keep. Missing that, uh, yeah. So it's it's definitely a, I think it's a marketer's dream. I think it's a salesperson's dream. I think if you're in the office, if you're doing anything with writing stuff, need generation of any sort of thing, that could be a really big game changer for you in 2023 as we, as we look forward. Okay. Keep, all right. I'll tell you what. Have we kind of hit an ending point maybe now? Yeah. Okay. All right. So keep, you 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 give your, any final thoughts you want to say? Yeah. I think for me, I'm just going to, uh, I think for 2023, I think the big thing is going to be Ukraine war. I think it's going to end um, the conflict or the, 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 the way that we're looking at the war is going to end in 2023. And I'm going to predict mid, mid of the year, uh, middle of the year, so June, July, probably. I think Russia's arsenal is going to be fully exhausted, and more breakdowns will happen. And so, uh, Ukraine is, has at least one more big offensive that it needs to do before things move forward. But I think that the map which I think you alluded to, the, the the map is going to look so much different in 2023. Um, you know, part, partly kicked off by what's happening in Russia. I predict we'll have some new republics that are established out of the collapse of Russia. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you think, do you think the satellite states are going to try to make a clean break? I think so. I think... Uh, well, they'll get in war. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Or... Well... If if Ukraine wins in a way where Ukraine has the, I think like Ryan said, like the negotiation, the power behind negotiation, um, they're going to be able to 
quote-unquote preserve Russia as it is with maybe new leadership. But if a Putin dies or there's a coup or something like that happens yeah. where it's more of an internal unrest, then I think it's going to be open for some of these, uh, you know, Dagestan, some of these Ossetia, some of these areas of Russia that were, to be honest, that are not ethnically Russian to start declaring independence. And they'll know that Russia will not be able to go in there and and try to control the situation just because of what, what's happened. So that's what I'm, my, my prediction there is. One thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, which is another heartbreaking thing, is uh, the prot- the protests in Iran that have been happening. Yes, um, since started really in September of this this year, um, there was a uh, a girl. Her name is uh, Masa Amini. Uh, she was detained by the Modesty Police, I think they call it, or Guidance Patrol, something like that. Where uh, she was wearing a hijab inappropriately um, and it was violating Iran's mandatory hijab law. She was beaten, uh, put in a coma. And, and she died. And right? she actually died. Yep. And there's been protests in, in, in Iran for many, you know, many years, obviously in, in, in different factions trying to bring some sort of free, freedom to it. But um, this thing kicked off a whole bunch of, activity, a whole bunch of protests. Um, I We just don't have time to get into all of this, but it, again, just heartbreaking to see people being forced uh, to, to really live in a certain way without having any, say, of freedom, without any ha- having any sort of control over their lives. And so um, there's been police stations burnt out, the protesters have actually started on the offensive and started, um, you know, there has been strikes. There has been uh, many people killed, over 400 plus people killed um, in this protest. And um, there was about 15,000 people that have been arrested. And one of the things that Iran said that that is just terrifying is that they intend to hang all 15,000 protesters that have been arrested. Holy cow. As a show of force, essentially. Yeah. Okay, so that might be something like we So I think 2023 is going to be a big year for Iran. Um, whatever happens, you know, I... How, how the people would take that? I don't know. I mean, even, Again... Even if it happened, they would now... Rep- they would hate it. Repressive regimes like Iran, like Russia, like China and North Korea... They all rely on one thing. They rely on fear. They rely on fear and to add to that power in order for them to stay in place. And when that starts cracking, when when people stop being afraid and when they see a perceived uh, lack of power, that's when protesters really start stepping up. They're going to hang one of the soccer players. Yep. Yep. There's been protests in the World Cup, which is in, in Qatar. Um, By the way, we should have defected those people immediately. But anyways, you said the point. So that, I think we're going to see a lot of unrest with Iran in 2023. Um, If they can, if the government can can clamp down on the protesters and clash it, unfortunately, it will be another 
instance of protesters getting, you know, clamped down and, and nothing happening. But if the protesters can gain some ground, which I'm hoping they can, we might see a new regime installed in Iran. So th- those are kind of my two predictions. The, the big one that I'm, you know, obviously really concerned about is is Ukraine and making making sure that we can have some peace there and that Ukraine finally wins, that conflict ends, Ukraine can negotiate from a position of power, reparations, um, war trials, tribunals, reinvestment into Ukraine. That's what I'm. That's what I'm uh, hoping for on my Christmas wish list. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so peace on earth and goodwill to man, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this is probably one of our longer episodes oh, if, totally. if I'm not mistaken. So it's been kind of a we've been all, all over the place a little bit, but I hope you guys enjoyed that cuz that that was fun to talk about some of these you know kind of kind of hard topics to talk yes. about, but and I think it needs to be said. It needs to be said. And uh we thank you so much for listening and doing my best way to try to give you the re- best way to say th- showing our thanks yeah. as well as we look in 2023 I went ahead and asked OpenAI chat GPT <laughs> what I should tell you all okay here we go so a Merry Christmas a Happy Holidays and a Happy New Year to all our devoted listeners we hope that you had a wonderful and fulfilling year and I have a wonderful fulfilling year ahead Remember to take time to enjoy the little things in life and to make the most of every moment. We are grateful for your support and can't wait for you to join us again in 2023 for more engaging and thought-provoking content. We are wishing you all the best in the coming year. Bravo. Thank you, OpenAI, chat, GPT. What a way to end. What a way to end. No, for all you listening in your vehicle... We hope you finish making it to your destination. For those of you running, we hope you finish that mile. And those of you that found us online and stuck it all the way through, we thank you for listening. We hope you all stick around again. Thank you, everyone. See you in the new year. Stay present. Cheers. Cheers.